Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please feel free to leave a comment and be sure to join our group on Facebook. Now relax and enjoy the show. Pick up a copy of The Redemption of Kings by Mark Castleberry. In the land of Connaught, the Gale people face divine punishment for straying from their faith in the Lord of Light, while King Nazar of Ash seeks to conquer and enslave them. Four young Gale men, including Aaron, remain faithful despite their enslavement, and Aaron interprets a prophetic dream for the king. King Nazar mandates the worship of a golden statue of himself, leading to defiance by Gale gardeners who miraculously survive execution. Aaron's interpretation of another dream prompts the king to consider a religious shift, causing unrest. King Nazar mysteriously disappears, but upon his return, he decrees the worship of the God of Light and the destruction of other idols. Rena, the king's concubine, opposes these changes and conspires with her son, Namor, to restore old traditions. This leads to a tyrannical reign with Rena's involvement in dark witchery and hidden agendas. Check out The Redemption of Kings at your local online bookstore. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and Palmolive Shave Creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, the nation's teachers took advantage of their Easter vacation in various ways. Some just lolled around the house, others played tennis or golf, and still others took the opportunity to go hunting or fishing. Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, spent most of her time trapping. But no matter what kind of bait I used, Mr. Boynton refused to fall into the trap. (laughs) I was discussing the bashful biologist with my landlady at breakfast last Friday morning. It's not that Mr. Boynton isn't fond of me, Mrs. Davis. This past week has proven that he is. In what way, Connie? Well, during the regular school term, Mr. Boynton has asked me for exactly one date a week, right? Right. And where did he take me on each and every one of those dates? To the zoo, right? Right. But in the past four days alone, he's taken me out on three dates. And where did he take you? If I see one more hyena, I'll laugh in his face. (laughs) Of course, you can't really blame a scientist for being so interested in animal life, but there must be some way we can get him conditioned to people. (laughs) There's still only one foolproof way to attract a mate, Connie, and that's the old-fashioned down-to-earth method practiced by women throughout the ages. Mrs. Davis, you mean... Exactly. Cook him a good hot meal. That'll make him perk up his ears and eyes. He'll either perk up his ears or turn up his toes. (laughs) You know what kind of a cook I am, Mrs. Davis. I'll do the actual cooking, Connie. All you have to do is invite him. Well, he said he'd phone me this morning. Maybe I can ask him over for lunch. Splendid. What time did he say he'd call? At 9.30. And you know how punctual he is. Yes, indeed. You can set your watch by Mr. Boynton. What time is it now, Connie? Let's see. Well, that's funny. It's just 9.30 now. I guess Mr. Boynton overslept. I'll get it. Hello? Sorry I'm late, Miss Brooks. 
Oh, you're not very late, Mr. Boynton. Oh, I'm afraid it's past 9.31, and I said I'd call it 9.30. <laughs> well, that's all right. I whiled away the time by whipping up a pot roast. <laughs> Miss Brooks, in all the years we've known each other, we've never shared in any one big venture together. Aren't you forgetting your gasoline bill? <laughs> I'm serious, Miss Brooks. I'm not much of a boy for these kind of speeches, but, well, I feel that the time has come for me to take a step that might well be the turning point in my life. Why, Mr. Boynton. Miss Brooks, I've got a pr proposal to make to you. I do. I mean... <laughs> I mean, go ahead, Mr. Boynton. What I'm suggesting is a, a partnership. A partnership founded on mutual regard, integrity, and a simple handshake. My hand's shaking already. <laughs> naturally, I, I'd like you to keep this proposition a secret until we work out all the details. Naturally, naturally. And I, I don't like to talk about a thing like this on the phone. Would it be possible for you to have lunch with me today? Possible? It's positively probable. <laughs> uh, what time and where, Mr. Boynton? Well... You mentioned a pot roast, I believe. Oh, of course. We'll have lunch right here. How about 12 o'clock? I'll be there, Miss Brooks. And somehow I have the feeling that this might lead to pretty big things. If they take after us, they should be. <laughs> well, goodbye, Mr. Boynton, dear. Goodbye, Miss Brooks, likewise. <laughs> Mrs. Davis, it was Mr. Boynton, and he's coming over to lunch. Good. We still have most of that pot roast you made for last night's dinner, haven't we? Certainly, dear. All you'll have to figure out is what to put around the roast. How about Mr. Boynton and me? <laughs> oh, you mean like, like vegetables and things. Yes, and you'll want a nice dessert, too. Why don't you stop in at the drugstore and get one of their ice cream cakes? All right, I'll leave in a few minutes. And while you're in the drugstore, I wish you'd pick up a couple of batteries for my flashlight. And, oh, yes, I need a new garden hose, too. Which drugstore do you have in mind? The one that sells used cars? <laughs> no, the one on Elm Street. You know, where my brother Victor got those pretty doe-skin slacks. Of course, uh, the flashlight batteries are only sold in the electronics department. That's in the rear. I know. Just before you come to the psychiatrist's office. <laughs> I wonder whatever happened to the old-fashioned drugstores, the kind that used to sell peroxide and Blue Jay corn plasters and Hammond organs. <laughs> There, the table's all set for lunch, Connie. What time did Mr. Boynton say you was coming? Twelve o'clock, Mrs. Davis. Uh, what time is it now? It's about as twelve o'clock as it'll ever get. <laughs> but before I let Mr. Boynton in, Mrs. Davis, I'd like to ask a favor of you. What is it, Connie? Well, so far it's a big secret, but Mr. Boynton has something very important to say to me today, and I'd appreciate it if you'd... Well, just sort of make yourself scarce while he's here. Oh, I get you, Connie. Don't worry about a thing. I'll do it very tactfully. Be right with you. Oh, I, I hope I haven't kept you waiting, Miss Brooks. It's only been four years. I mean... <laughs> oh, you mean for lunch? Oh, not at all. Come on in, Mr. Boynton. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Mrs. Davis. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. 
How's the weather out today? Well, I should say that the temperature's about 68, with a relative humidity about 20. However, barometric pressure indicates a warm front moving in from the southeast, which, which would elevate the thermometer considerably. Roger, Wilco, over and out. <laughs> I'd like to stay and chat with you for a while, Mr. Boynton, but I've got to rush right into my room. What's your hurry, Mrs. Davis? It's the only way I can think of to make myself scarce. <laughs> now, you be a good boy, Mr. Boynton. Connie, if you need me, just yell. I should live so long. <laughs> See you later, Mrs. Davis. Uh, Miss Brooks, before we sit down to lunch, I'd like to clarify some of the remarks I made to you on the telephone. You see, I got the feeling at times that you didn't quite comprehend the nature of this deal. Deal? Yes, it's a real estate deal. Uh, my Uncle Harry over in Florence has given me the opportunity to pick up the option on a couple of choice lots. I'm letting you in on the ground floor, Miss Brooks. I couldn't feel any lower if you let me in the basement. <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to do with a couple of lots? Oh, they're not just any lots, Miss Brooks. They're a wonderful buy. My uncle says they should triple in value in a few months, and he ought to know. He's justice of the peace in Florence. Knows everybody in town. Your uncle is justice of the peace? Well, yes, he has been for years. Well, it's a good thing he doesn't depend on you to throw business his way. <laughs> But how come you never mentioned your Uncle Harry before? Oh, I don't know. I never thought of it, I guess. He's always been after me to get married and settle down. Peculiar old codger. Careful, Mr. Boynton. You're speaking of the uncle I love. <laughs> well, the nicest part of this option is we won't have to put up much cash to secure it. When can we take a look at these prospective oil fields? Well, I thought we'd drive out right after lunch. It's not very far. Oh, fine. Now let's sit down, Mr. Boynton. We'll have a nice, cozy lunch. Just you and me. And the doorbell makes three. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, it's Walter Denton. Greetings, most revered and hallowed instructor. <laughs> well, thanks, Walter, but... What brings you to your ivy-covered old teacher during vacation? Well, I was just cruising around the neighborhood and I thought you might want to lift somewhere. Oh, that was very thoughtful, but I've got company, Walter. Company? And... Who? Oh, it's Mr. Boynton. Hiya, Mr. Boynton. Hi, Walter. We were about to have our lunch. Lunch? Oh, gee, that's embarrassing, Miss Brooks. My barging in on you like this, I mean. I hardly know what to say. Have you thought of goodbye, Miss Brooks? <laughs> Gosh, something smells awfully good. Haven't you eaten your lunch yet? No, I haven't, Miss Brooks. Then don't let me keep you. <laughs> I know what that delicious smell is. It's pot roast. Mm -hmm. Miss Brooks, would you mind terribly if I... Well, that is, could I... Of course, Walter. Go right ahead and take another sniff before you leave. <laughs> oh, well, I'll just say goodbye to Mr. Boynton first. Guess I'll be running along now, Mr. Boynton. Oh, what's your hurry, Walter? Oh, Walter has any number of pressing things to do, haven't you? No, ma'am. No, I haven't got a thing to do. Mm -hmm. Smell that gravy. I'm starved. Well, as long as Walter's so hungry, Miss Brooks, maybe you ought to give him a bite. I'll be glad to. <laughs> Stick out your arm, Walter. <laughs> I mean, let's all sit down. Oh, 
Oh, man, that's what I call a meal. I sure enjoyed it, Miss Brooks. Oh, I'm glad, Mr. Boynton. How did you like it, Walter? <laughs> He's still liking it. <laughs> you said a mouthful that time. Well, we'd better get going, Mr. Boynton. If you'll excuse me a moment, I'll say goodbye to Mrs. Davis. Oh, certainly. Come in. I just wanted to say goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Oh, well, have a nice time, dear. Oh, before you go, I forgot to tell you that while you were shopping, Mr. Conklin called. He said he wanted to talk to you about something this afternoon. This afternoon? But I'm going to be busy. I'm going over to Florence with Mr. Boynton. I tell you what, Connie, just leave a phone number where I can reach you. And if Mr. Conklin sounds too terribly urgent the next time he calls, I'll let you know. All right, Mrs. Davis. And when you go into the dinette, don't be alarmed if you see a tall boy with a slightly purple face. It's Walter Denton. Walter Denton? What's he doing here? The last time I saw him, he was eating the string around the pot roast. <laughs> Brush your teeth with Colgate. Colgate Dental Cream, it cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What cleans your teeth? Colgate toothpaste. Cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What cleans your teeth? Colgate Dental Cream cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Yes, the Colgate way is the most thoroughly proved and accepted home method of oral hygiene known today. Over two years' research showed brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helped stop more decay for more people than ever before reported in dentifrice history. The Colgate way stopped tooth decay best. No other dentifrice, ammoniated or not, offers such conclusive proof. And you should know that Colgate's, while not mentioned by name, was the only toothpaste used in the research on tooth decay recently reported in Reader's Digest. So always follow the Colgate way to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and stop tooth decay best. Brush your teeth with Colgate's Colgate Dental Cream. It cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way... Stops tooth decay best. Well, before she and Mr. Boynton left for the community of Florence, Miss Brooks jotted down his Uncle Harry's phone number and left it on Mrs. Davis's telephone stand. About an hour later, Walter Denton arose from the living room couch, stretched, yawned, and spoke. Oh, nothing like a good meal and a nice nap. Miss Brooks and Mr. Boynton took off, huh? Quite a while ago. But while you were sleeping, Mr. Conklin called and said he had some important reports that he wanted Miss Brooks to get out by tonight. Well, where'd she go? She didn't say she just left this phone number. But I've misplaced my glasses again. Will you dial it for me? Oh, sure, Mrs. Davis. Uh, Funny, I can never remember the rest of those words. <laughs> Hello, Justice Henderson speaking. Who? Justice of the Peace Henderson. I must have the wrong number. Is this Florence 2164? That's right. Well, is Miss Brooks or Mr. Boynton there? Oh, no, indeed, they were here, but as soon as they signed the necessary papers, they took off like a couple of kids. <laughs> papers? You mean they... Oh, they sure are. They're hooked up now. <laughs> well, I'll be. Thanks, Your Justiceship. Thanks a lot. Who were you talking to, Walter? To a justice of the peace, Mrs. Davis. 
Our little Miss Brooks is a married woman. What? Oh, oh, but she never mentioned a word to me. Surely she... Well, she must have a very good reason for keeping this marriage a secret. Now, I know I can depend on you to keep whatever you suspect to yourself, Walter. As one of Miss Brooks' most trusted confidants, I can do no less, Mrs. Davis. Rest assured that this secret is ours and ours alone. Let's see now. What's Harriet Conklin's phone number again? Seventy-six, seventy-seven. Here we are, seventy-eight and seventy-nine. These are the lots we've optioned, Miss Brooks. How do you like them? I can't see them under all that mud. <laughs> Must have rained out here last night. But this property's going to be very valuable someday. All it needs is a few improvements. You mean like replacing the swamp with a dirt road? <laughs> oh, I, I know you're jesting, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's beautiful out here. J- just take a breath of that air. Hmm, it's enough to make a person burst into song. I know just how you feel. Bum, 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 Chloe! Please, Miss Brooks. Please, these happen to be two of the choicest lots in this part of the country. I know, but what country is this? My Uncle Harry wouldn't give us a wrong steer, Miss Brooks. This may be the start of a very lucrative sideline. After we sell this property at a profit, there's no telling how far we can go. Unless we pick up a couple of lots on Mars, this is about as far as anybody can go. <laughs> oh, it isn't that bad. Well, I guess we better start back now. Just how far is it to civilization, Mr. Boynton? I don't know the exact mileage, but we're not too far from home. Now, don't worry, I'll get you back all right. Oh, I'm not worried, Mr. Boynton. But just to be on the safe side, let's get some directions from that bear over there. Daddy? Oh, Daddy, where are you? I'm lying down on the living room couch, Harriet. You have my permission to approach me. While you were napping, Daddy Yes, yes, I heard it vaguely But I dozed off again while you were speaking Was it Miss Brooks answering my previous call? No, Daddy, it was Walter Golly, I don't like to violate a confidence But you are my father And you also happen to be the principal of my high school Of course, Harriet, Harriet, this is vacation time for me When your dear mother left the house this morning To visit your dear granny I rather look forward to this as a day which would be singularly free from yatata. <laughs> so if you cannot control this impulse to jabber at me, please... But it's not jabber, Daddy. It's... Oh, wait till you hear this news. Please, child. Must you make all your remarks sound like a bulletin which will send me leaping into the air as if a couch spring had erupted beneath me? <laughs> Sorry, Daddy. It's just that Miss Brooks has eloped. So she's eloped. During her vacation period, every teacher is entitled to do whatever he or she... Miss Brooks has eloped! (laughs) Oh! 
must be calm. And you must remember my blood pressure. So she's done it. The one woman on the entire faculty I could have sworn was elope-proof. Oh, Daddy, you shouldn't be so upset. After all, it isn't a tragedy. Oh, it isn't, eh? Do you think you find capable English teachers on trees? No, Daddy. Although at the moment, I wouldn't mind seeing this one dangling from a tree. <laughs> well, don't stand there gaping, girl. It's almost 5.30. We've got to go over to Mrs. Davis's place and get to the bottom of this. But what can we do, Daddy? By now, they're probably on their honeymoon. That's where you're wrong, Harriet. Mr. Boynton couldn't possibly start on his honeymoon today. Why not? The zoo closes at five sharp. <laughs> getting pretty dark, Mr. Boynton. We'll have to hurry if we're to be home in time for dinner. Oh, I'm not planning on getting back for dinner, Miss Brooks. After the splendid lunch you prepared for me at noon, I, I thought it only fair to reciprocate. You mean we're going to a restaurant? Not exactly. I, I thought we'd eat on the road. Aren't you afraid of being hit by passing cars? <laughs> there are lots of nice little roadside places, Miss Brooks. After all, it isn't the food that's important. It, it's the fun of having, having it together. You're so right, Mr. Boynton. And being treated to dinner is even more fun. Of course, after that lunch we had, it'll be difficult to eat very much more. Oh, I don't know. I could find room. <laughs> Just think, we had pot roast, potatoes, lima beans, salad, rice pudding, and milk. But that was six hours ago. I know, but when people get past their 20s, Miss Brooks, much of their caloric intake turns to nothing but flabby blubber and... Uh, <laughs> If there's one thing that makes a woman attractive to me, it's a, a nice, slim figure. Mr. Boynton. Yes? Pass me a toothpick and keep on driving. <laughs> Almost seven o'clock and still no word from Connie. It isn't like her to do things like this. Get married, you mean? Please, Walter, this is no laughing matter. Just think, Mr. Conklin. Only six hours ago, I had lunch with them. What? Then you must have been the last person to see them alive. <laughs> uh, single, single. Of course, outside of that alleged justice of the peace you spoke to, there's no real proof that they're married. Well, golly, Daddy, what more proof do you want? Tell me, Denton, when you saw them at lunch, how did they act? How did they look? Same way they always do. Miss Brooks didn't take her eyes off Mr. Boynton's face, and Mr. Boynton didn't take his eyes off his plate. Oh, that's the front door. I'll go. Oh, and me too. So will I. Harriet, stand where you are. We'll wait in here. Connie. And Mr. Boynton, come on in. Uh, hi, folks. Connie, you bad girl. You should have let me know. At least I could have had some rice ready to toss at you. Well, thanks just the same, Mrs. Davis. But when you get past 20, rice just turns to blubber. <laughs> Congratulations, Mr. Boynton. And you too, Miss Brooks. I... <laughs> Miss Brooks. Oh, gosh, I guess I'll always think of you as Miss Brooks. You don't mind, do you? Mine? What should you think of me as? Casey Stengel? <laughs> Still in there pitching. But what you've done has made most of us very happy. <laughs> I, for one, am looking forward to the day when you invite me out to your new place. Well, you can come out anytime, Walter. Sure, we'll sit around and make mud pies. <laughs> you've got more company in the living room, Connie. Come on in. Oh. 
Well, Mr. Conklin and Harriet. Best of everything, folks. Thanks, Harriet. I cannot share my daughter's enthusiasm for this affair. I'm deeply chagrined at not being notified. Well, you see, sir, my uncle didn't want too many people to know about it. Your uncle? What has he got to do with anything? Oh, he was responsible for the whole deal. He's the justice of the peace in Florence. But as principal of Madison High, I am entitled if to... If I know may something... say so, Mr. Conklin, I, I don't think it should concern anyone at school if, if I want to go out and pick up a piece of property. <laughs> what a strange way to put it. But it does concern Madison. I have a right to know whether or not we're losing our English teacher. Losing me? But, Mr. Conklin, I'm nowhere near financial independence yet. I've got to continue my teaching. Don't forget, this is only my first venture. <laughs> Your first venture? Well, certainly. If this one works out, she may take a crack at four or five others. <laughs> What? Well, why not? After all, Mr. Boynton's uncle can probably put me next to plenty of good things. <laughs> well, I never... <laughs> Harriet, Harriet, Walter, leave the room at once. You're too young for this sort of conversation. You've aged considerably in the last few minutes. <laughs> I can't understand you, Connie, taking your marriage so lightly. My marriage? Her marriage? Didn't you two get married this afternoon? Miss Brooks and me get, get married this afternoon? What? Heavens, no! <laughs> Can you imagine anything like that, Miss Brooks? <laughs> You're not married. Why did Walter tell Harriet well, that you I were... only told Harriet what Justice Henderson told me, that they signed the papers and were hooked up. Oh, now I understand. When Uncle Harry told you we were hooked up, you thought we were married. Well, sure, wouldn't you? Oh, but the whole thing was just a real estate deal. Miss Brooks and I bought some lots together. Lots? Well, oh, <laughs> this is rich. <laughs> <laughs> what a mix-up. <laughs> This entire affair is nothing but a comedy of errors. As a student of Shakespeare, don't you agree, Miss Brooks? As a student of the Kefauver Committee, I refuse to answer on the grounds that it may tend to incriminate me. <laughs> Eve Arden returns in just a moment, but first... You'll get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves By shaving the palm on a brushless way Yes, smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves The palm on a brushless way Hey, that's a fact, men. You can get smoother, yes, more comfortable shaves The palm olive brushless shaving cream way Just rub velvet smooth palm olive brushless into your beard you'll find it wilts the toughest whiskers, actually protects your skin by providing a soft film that floats your razor's cutting edge. Remember, over 1,200 men tested the Palmolive Brushless Shaving Cream Way following directions on the package. And no matter how they shaved before, three out of four reported beards easier to cut, less razor pull, smoother, more comfortable, yes, more comfortable shaves. 
So men, try the Palmolive brushless way yourself. Even in cold or hard water, you get a close, clean shave. And a smoother, more comfortable, yes, a more comfortable shave. You'll get smoother, more comfortable, comfortable shaves the Palmolive brushless way. Boom. Next time you shave, try the Palmolive brushless shaving cream way. Now, once again, here is Eve Arden. In the event of enemy attack, who would be the first to rush to the aid of the stricken? Who is always first in any disaster? The Red Cross. Because of the present national emergency, the Red Cross must mobilize for defense at once. To do it, they need your help. A contribution to this outstanding organization is a contribution to the comfort and aid of your loved ones and yourself in time of any emergency. So give generously. The need is great. This is Vern Smith reminding you to tune in next week to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Shave Cream for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis and Arthur Allsberg, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crana, Gloria McMillan, and Paul McVeigh. Ladies and gentlemen, we take pride in announcing that Eve Arden has been named radio's most outstanding female personality by the Southern California Society of Radio and Television Editors. Thank you very much. To this... With Marvellous Bell, B-E-L, you can save 90% of dishwashing work. A quick soak in Vell Suds gets dishes and glassware shiny clean. Even if a bit of food should cling, a touch with a dishcloth gets rid of it fast. Yes, Vell's activated suds lift off and carry away food and grease. So all dish dishes need is a quick rinse, and they dry sparkling without washing or wiping. All pots and pans need is a soaking with Vell Suds. Then you can wash them shiny clean without hard scouring. What's more, Vell is a miracle of mildness. So get new Vell. Save 90% of dishwashing work. If you like mysteries that are as full of chuckles as chills, be sure to hear Mr. and Mrs. North every Tuesday over this same network. Hear Mr. and Mrs. North every Tuesday night. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned now for Jack Benny. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Entertainment with all the Amos and Andy characters, plus Bud Gluskin and his orchestra, and those famous Delta Rhythm Boys. The Kingfisher's wife, Sapphire, has come to the conclusion that her husband's association with Andy Brown is the main cause of him being such a shiftless loafer. And right now, she's telling the kingfish about it. George Stevens, I've made up my mind that I'm going to have a husband that dresses good, knows nice people, and has got a steady job. Sapphire, you mean to say that you was going to leave me? George, I know why you are no good, bum. 
It's on account of your association with Andy Brown. Why don't you try to meet a nicer class of men? Well, I ain't got the opportunity to meet them. They're all working. I don't do that. <laughs> well, that Andy Brown is the cause of it all. What has he ever accomplished? Well, yesterday he had a run of 13 balls in the side pocket without leaning on the table. <laughs> now, that's exactly what I mean. Andy's hanging around a pool table all day. Why don't he go to a cultured place like the public library? They ain't got no pool table there. What you <laughs> All Andy thinks about is pool table. He ain't got no background. Well, he got a rich uncle, honey, by the name of Sylvester that's got a rubber plantation down in Brazil. He read a letter to his uncle Sylvester last week. Listen, Joyce Stevens, we ain't going to let Andy Brown ruin our married life. And I want you to do something about it. <laughs> Come in, Henry, come in. Well, how's everything at the lodge today, Kingsley? Well, everything's all right, Joe, but my wife really been jumping on me. She claimed that I got to break off my friendship with Andy on account of him being a lazy, good-for-nothing bum. Well, my wife, Clara, told me the same thing. Oh, is you going to break off with Andy? No, no. Clara was talking about you, Kingsley. <laughs> oh, my wife wants me to pick out better people to associate with. Well, yes, it would be nice if you could pick out a man like, uh, well, say our society leader, Mr. Torrance L. Washburn III. Uh, Torrance L. Washburn III, uh, yeah. They tell me this, why does they call him the third? His mother was married twice before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he a successful man? Oh, yes, indeed. And he's opened up a fix-it shop. But the last thing he fixed got him in a little trouble. Uh, what was that? A football game. Yeah, he was... <laughs> well, and there's a bum, all right. Yeah. Well, come in, Lightning. Yes, how is you, Lightning? How is you? Did y'all hear the good news about Miss Andy? Well, no, I haven't, Lightning. What is it? Well, he just got a telegram from his uncle, Sylvester, down in Brazil that owns a rubber plantation. Rubber plantation? Oh, uh, yeah, sir. And he wants Andy to come down there as his assistant and will pay him $200 a week. Holy Moses. Yes, that is news. Uh, Miss Andy sure is happy. Well, so long, I'll quit right on that. Well, Kingfish, how do you like that? $200 a week. That's a real break for Andy. Break? $200 a week sounds more like a compound fracture to me there. <laughs> yes, indeed. Andy will be on the gravy train. Too bad that you can't hitch a ride on the caboose. Yeah, you know, I think of that minute he said $200 a week there. The uh, trouble is, my wife won't leave New York City, you see. Andy going to Brazil. That's quite an expensive trip, too. The travel agent will make quite a hunk of money on that ticket. Yeah, that is right. Them travel agents do. Uh, say, speaking of the caboose, uh, you know, I think I'll go into the travel agent business right now. <laughs> travel anywhere. World Tours Incorporated. Hello there, Kingfish. Well, Andy, the only reason I dropped by is to tell you that I'm too busy to drop by today. Uh... I just formed a new company that uh, arranges transportation all over the world, specializing in South America. Yeah, well, that's a coincidence. I just got a wire from Uncle Sylvester. He asked me to come to Brazil to help him manage his rubber plantation. Yeah, is that so? You don't mean to tell me. Well, uh, maybe I can help you with your transportation. I got a regular travel bureau that I run, and I only cost you about 10 or 15% extra there. Well, I've been thinking this thing over since I got the telegram. I don't know if I want to go to Brazil, leave all my friends up here in New York. Might be too hot down there for me. Well, to the matter, it was very cool, and Brazil is noted for its wonderful humidity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
cool night. Uh, you can take a easy chair there and just sit out on the tarantula there with cigars in your mouth, you know. Well, Kingfish, I was talking to somebody about it, and they told me that sometimes it gets to 103 in the shade down there. Yeah, well, you ain't gonna be crazy enough to sit in the shade, though, will you? <laughs> uh, now about your transportation, then. Uh, you gotta get a passport to get out the country. Yeah, well, I want to get on one that don't rock much, because I get seasick. No, no, you're thinking of a transport. Uh, I'm talking oh. about a passport, and uh, that's a little book with your picture on it tell you who you is. Well, I know who I is. Yeah, but, Anna, you got to have a passport. Well, I ain't got no passport for the country I was living in now. Well, of course you don't, Anna. This year ain't a foreign country. That's funny. I was talking to my Chinese laundryman, and he told me it was. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Look here, look here. Take my word for it. You got to have a passport, and you got to have a picture. Now, why don't you go down to the police department and get that picture of you that got down there? You know, they got your record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Must I get the full face or the profile? Oh, get the full face, but don't forget to snip the number off the back before you paste it on the thing. And <laughs> yeah, you say that your company takes care of all the transportation. Oh, huh? yeah. Tell you everything to do, save your worries, save your trouble, save you all that stuff. Say, uh, somebody told me that I got to pass through customs. What is that? Uh, customs? Uh, well... Uh, everybody passes through customs, and <laughs> It's a lovely trip. You'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, tell me this. Uh, where is customs? Uh, customs? Uh, you don't mean to tell me you don't know where it is. No, I got no idea. Where oh, it is. It's, uh, it's about uh, 60 miles from the Rock of Gibraltar. Uh, called the Custom Islands, uh, owned by Spain. Mm. Oh, you was here describing old Spanish customs. Are you? Oh. <laughs> Okay, Kingfish, this thing sounds pretty good to me. You arrange the whole trip. Oh, great, and I'll do that. Tell me this, do I go direct to Brazil from New York? Well, you might take a little side trip and have some fun on the way down. Maybe I can arrange for you to stop off for a few days at a place that you'll enjoy. Is it any good? Is it any good? Listen, man. Managua, Nicaragua is a beautiful town. You buy a hacienda for a few tables down. You give it to the lady you are trying to win. But the father doesn't let you come in. Managua, Nicaragua is a heavenly place. You ask a senorita for a legal embrace. She answers you, caramba, scramba, bamberito. Managua, Nicaragua, that's no. I have been to many tropic ports. I might include even Brooklyn. If you ever feeling out of sorts, I'd like to recommend a look in. Managua, Nicaragua, what a wonderful spot. There's coffee and bananas and a temperature hot. So take a trip and on a ship go sailing away. Across the agua to Managua, Nicaragua, ole. Managua, Nicaragua is a town you'll adore. Because they want to walk in the shade. 
Who never puts the countries back where they belong? <laughs> hey, well, now, look, Mother, I want to get the cheapest possible boat passage to Brazil. Well, the cheapest is a cattle boat. Got one going down with 5,000 head on board. The boat ticket is $50. Cattle boat, huh? Yeah, and for a little extra money, I might fix it up so your friend can eat at the captain's table. Yeah, well, maybe you ain't got to travel that high, Claire. Well, on a cattle boat, there's a wide spread between eating at the captain's table and the next accommodation. Uh, what is the next eating accommodation? A low trough. <laughs> Let me see here now. Uh, uh, and if you'd like to send $10 more, I could get him on an extra fare cattle boat. Extra fare? What's the advantage of that? Well, there's two advantages. You get to travel with prize-winning cattle, and they put a bed in your stall. <laughs> well, Brother Andy, I was back. I had to spend the whole $150 that you give me. Uh, here's your ticket to Brazil. Oh, big ocean liner, ain't it? Big ocean liner. Yeah, let me see this ticket. Oh, there you are. Look at that. There's a lot of ticket there in it. About a foot and a half long. Look at that. Yeah, it's a uh, passage for one on the SS Guernsey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Andy. That's a double E prime boat, all right, boy. That, that, that's a good boat. Well, it's funny I never hear of the SS Guernsey. Is I going to be a nice crowd on there? Oh, yeah, they'll be mostly a Texas bunch. You, you get along. <laughs> hey, you're going to like the boat, Andy. Well, will I get a chance to talk to a lot of friends on the boat? Oh, yeah, in the evening you can sit out on the deck there and chew the cud with all the people there. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to talk uh, much at night like that. I want to get to bed early. Yeah, well, Andy, I'll guarantee every night you'll be in the hay by seven. I knew that. <laughs> uh, hey. hey, Kingfish. I know this is a kind of a silly question, but could this be a cattle boat I'm going on? Well, there's a few cattle on board, but the finest boats on the ocean carry cattle on them. Cattle will travel on all boats. Even the Queen Elizabeth's got a steerage on it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, how many cows is on this boat? Oh, well, the steerage on this boat has about 5,000, small groups. How about getting me on a boat where they uses people for steerage? <laughs> oh, don't worry about steerage, Andy. With the wind blowing right, you'll never notice it, I tell you. <laughs> There's a lot of advantages in traveling on a cattle boat, and the thing of the amusement. What kind of amusement? Oh, there's a lot of deck sports. Uh, lasso yourself a few steers, play pin the tail on the heifer, and all that stuff there. <laughs> well, I guess the cattle boat's okay. Oh, fine, brother Andy. And I'll get all of our friends to come down to the dock when you leave and bid you Bon Holstein. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, Kingfish, uh, where'd I go to get on this boat? Oh, just go down to Pier 52, Andy. Which boat is it? Well, I don't know exactly where it's standing, but you can't miss it. Just follow the flies. <laughs> uh, come in, Emma. Come in. Yeah, how is you, pal? Well, I just come over to talk to you. Yeah. Well, I'll leave you two boys alone. See you later. So long, boys. So long. Well, I'm going to Brazil, Amos. Got my ticket and everything. Yeah, I was over to the newspaper talking to Fred Wendell, and uh, he told me that you're leaving. He wants to come over and interview you, Andy. Oh, boy, that's great. Put my picture in the paper with a story, huh? Oh, yeah. What kind of stuff are you going to tell him? Well, I'll start off with my childhood, my school days. Ah, school days. I remember your school days. Oh, that was one of the happiest weeks of my life. <laughs> Well, I'll tell Glendale to come on over here then for the interview, huh? Yeah, tell him to bring a bunch of pencils and a lot of paper. I'll give him an interview like he ain't never seen before in his life. Well, Andy, I hope you have a nice trip and arrive in Brazil nice and healthy, boy. Healthy? Amos, by the time I get off that boat, I'll be homogenized. <laughs> 
Claudia, I see you. Uh, I see you about some legal matters here. Uh, yeah, uh, come in, come in. Yeah, well, uh, tell me this. Uh, as you're going out, I see a note there on your desk say, back at 4 o'clock. No, no, no. That's my appointment with the chiropractor. He's coming over at 4 to work on my back. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, listen, LaGuardia, uh, let's sit down and get down to this legal advice here. Now, here's the story. Uh, another fella got a telegram from his uncle to come to Brazil for a big job, and I want that job. Well, why don't you take his ticket and go down now? Well, if I've done that, uh, is there any possible way I can get in any trouble? Oh, sure. There must be some way. I'll find it. <laughs> oh, no, look here. I done decided to talk him out of going. Now, could he do anything to me? Well, he could call the Coast Guard and start extradition proceedings. Extradition proceedings, what's that? I don't know exactly, but it's, it's, it's somewhere where they find out where you're going to be and check up on where you ain't, and then they pick you up where you is and bring you back to where you were. Yeah. Tell me this, can they do that soon or? Oh, yeah, yeah, they did. Now, I remember one case I had. I went with the police up to Canada to bring back a man. Yeah, did you get him? Ah, yeah, yeah. I brought him all the way back to New York. He fought and fought all the way. But I got him there. <laughs> and boy, was he mad. <laughs> the man was mad, huh? Yeah, I'll say. Well, I had the wrong man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Stonewall, look here. I've just been thinking here. The only thing for me to do in my case is to unsell the fella on going to Brazil. Now, if I run into any trouble on the thing, I'll call you. Well, you better call me early, sir, because I got to go see a man about taking him in as a partner in my law office. Oh, a partner. That's a good idea. Yeah, he's a good man. He cashed a check for $2,500 and bought a half interest in my law business. Mm, $2,500. Yeah, now I got to go to court and watch him in action. Oh, yeah, tell me this. Has he got a case in court? Yeah, forgery case. I'm suing him for signing my name to that check. <laughs> Come in, Kingfish. I'm getting all ready for my big trip to Brazil. Well, now, wait a minute, Anna. There's still a few little details that ain't been took care of yet uh, before anybody leaves for dangerous country. What kind of details? Well, now, before you can leave, Andy, you've got to get your inoculation shots. Uh, I'd say you'd be ready for surgery at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, surgery? Oh, nothing to worry about. You might get over it. Uh, you just got to go to the hospital and let the doctors give you them inoculations with them hypochondriac needles, you know what they say. Well, wait a minute here. I don't want nobody jabbing me with no needles. Them needles hurt. No, no, Andy. When they plunges that needle into your arm, you don't even feel it. The needles? No, your arm, boy. Well, what has I got to have all these shots for? Well, Andy, you was traveling with pure-bred blooded cattle and they ain't taking no chances. Andy. Yeah, I don't want to mess up the cattle. But these shots you're talking about has got me scared. Yeah, well, you got to have them, man. They're going to Brazil. That's the law. The law reads that you got to have tetanus shots, typhoid, yellow fever, and the worst of all, of course, is the jaundice shot. Now, where do they shoot you for that? Usually in the left jaundice. <laughs> oh, no. That's where I fooled them. I had my jaundices cut out when I was a kid. Oh, I did. <laughs> But I was going anyway, and I'm going to go home and pack up my stuff and catch the boat tonight. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what you do, Andy. Give me your boat ticket, and I'll go over to see my doctor. Give me the ticket now. That's it. Okay. I'll have my doctor stamp it for you, so you won't have to take the shot. Yeah, that's the stuff. Do that for me. There he is. There's the ticket. See you after a while. So long. Well, it didn't work. 
$200 a week. That's big dough. I was going to take that job myself. I was doing this land as good. I was going down and get on that boat. South America, open up them golden gates. Calm down, Ann. It ain't no use for you getting mad and all excited. Oh, of all the dirty, low-down, double-crossed crooks, that kingfish is the lowest. He done took my steamship ticket, and last night he went down and got on the boat himself. Oh, uh, hello there, Sapphire. Where's my husband at? He didn't come home last night, and he left a note saying that he was going away to make his fortune and that he'd send for me later. Yeah, that no-good chiseler took my ticket and left for Brazil because he knowed that I got a wire from my Uncle Sylvester offering me a job down there, $200 a week. What's the matter? I wanted to fix things so George wouldn't hang around with you no more. And I'm the one that sent you that wire and signed it Uncle Sylvester. Oh. <laughs> Ever plan to motor west? Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Get your kick on Route 66. It winds from Chicago to L.A. More than 2,000 miles all the way. Get your kick on Route to you through the worldwide facilities 
of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. If you're a retailer, you may be missing ad dollars from manufacturers. Don't miss out. This station can tell you about 1,500 manufacturers in most businesses who provide radio co-op. Many pay 100% of the ad cost. Radio will heat up your sales fast, and this station will help you get co-op money to make your ad budget bigger. Radio. It's red hot. Get more facts. Call this station or the Radio Advertising Bureau. They brought you this message. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. <laughs> the Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levinson. Spring has come to a certain home in Summerfield. Spring with its bright colors and its new flowers. And here on his hands and knees in the hallway, tacking down a new bright-colored flowered carpet, is our friend, the great Gildersleeve. The moon shines bright, it's light all night. Deep in the heart of Texas, I'm stuck Leroy because my boy, I'm short of carpet taxes. <laughs> Coyote's wine, take some of mine, deep in the heart of Texas. Well, thank you, son, I'm almost done. Oh! <laughs> Aunt, what did you do? If I hit the wrong nail. Here, let me finish it for you. All right. There we are. Uh, thanks, Leroy. You certainly knock with a knack. <laughs> Oh, I'm tired. Let's sit down on the steps for a while, huh? Oh! What's wrong, Unc? I just discovered I wasn't out of taxes, after all. Say, what's going on out here? Are you getting the carpet down on the motor? Is it getting you down? Yeah, hello, Marjorie. I, I had misplaced some tax, and I had just found them the hard way. <laughs> well, you better take them out of your pocket before you ruin your trousers. Oh, this is really just an old pair, but I'll unload the tax anyhow. Yeah, there. Oh, well, what do you know? What is it, Unc? Why, here's my lucky half dollar. So that's where it was. No wonder I haven't been getting the Blake's breaks lately. <laughs> yeah, but you watch. Things are going to be better now that I found it again. Really, Uncle, you believe in the most childish superstitions. Yeah. Oh, I'm different. Yeah. Uh, Excuse me, Mrs. Gilsey, but here's a telegram that just came for you. Oh, thank you, Bertie. Uh, telegrams fascinate me. <laughs> uh, well, listen to this. Uh, dear Mr. Gildersleeve, congratulations. The Gentlemen's Fashion Guild of New York has selected you as one of the ten best-dressed men in Summerfield. Well, signed J.C.B. Halchester, President. Why, Uncle, that coined up bring you luck. One of the ten best-dressed men. Why, George, I can hardly believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can I, Mr. Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why not? Well, just look at yourself in them old work clothes. Huh? It's a good thing there ain't no television to telegraph. Else they'd elect you to ten worst-dressed men in town. Oh, 
be my locomotive is appointment downtown. Do you know where he is? Yes, me standing in front of the mirror in his room, no doubt, trying to decide which one of his neckties harmonizes best with the rest of his haberdashery. Oh, do you think so? <laughs> Undubitably. <laughs> He's been that way ever since he got that telegram. Oh, you mean the one from those fashion experts? That's right. And making him one of the best press men in town is making me one of the worst work women in town. I'm wearing myself down to a shadow. <laughs> well, I knew it doesn't show. <laughs> In fact... Ah, good morning, Marjorie. Hello, Bertie. Say, how do I look? Does my cravat blend with the rest of my ensemble? Yes, sir. But I was sure you was going to ask us if your tie harmonized with the remainder of your clothes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle, yeah. you look as if you just stepped out of a bandbox. Now, don't kid me, Marjorie. Whoever saw a bandbox big enough for me to step out of? <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going, Uncle? Well, Mr. Halchester's in town. He's invited me to meet him at the Ritz Summerfield. Oh, you mean the men's clothes designer? Yeah, I hope I look my best. Oh, you do. Uh, oh, that must be Judge Hooker. Send him right in, Bertie. We're saving rubber by riding downtown in his car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good morning, Judge. Say, look at those duds. You'd look like a tailor's dummy, Gildersleeve. You didn't talk so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if my sartorial splendor disturbs you, Judge. But as one of the ten best-dressed men in Summerfield... Who, you? Who says so? The Gentleman's Fashion Guild of New York? Never heard of them. Yeah, from the looks of your clothes, you've never even heard of gentlemen's fashions. <laughs> as Mr. Halchester said to me this morning... Who's Mr. Halchester? Mr. Halchester is a famous style authority. He's the man who picked me and the other nine snappiest dressers. How'd he do it? Over the telephone? Yeah, over the telephone. He's stopping at the Ritz Summerfield. I'm going down to meet him. Say, I'd like to meet him, too. You mind if I come along with you? Not at all. That suit of yours should give Mr. Halchester a good hearty laugh. <laughs> What's wrong with this suit? Oh, nothing that a rock, a rope, and a river couldn't cure. Mr. Gildersleeve, come in, come in. Oh, this is a pleasure indeed, Mr. Halchester. Uh, this is a friend of mine, Judge Horace Hooker, a uh, close friend. Uh, Judge, I want you to know Mr. Halchester. Oh, everybody knows Mr. Halchester. Glad to meet you, sir. Uh, I'd like both of you to meet Mr. Leslie, one of New York's leading tailors. How do you do? It's a pleasure. Me too. Uh, Mr. Leslie makes most of the clothing I design. Oh. Uh, Mr. Gildersleeve here was on our ten best list for Summerfield. Ah, uh, Yes. Excellent choice. And I think he has a very good chance of making our first team. Uh, you mean... Yes, the ten best-dressed men in America. Oh, no. <laughs> but then, why not? How do you make your selection? Oh, on a number of counts. Huh? Taste, style, figure, carriage. Gildy could win on the last two. He's got a figure like a carriage, all right. Ignore him, Mr. Halchester. He's just jealous. He's so skinny, his tailor has to put pads in his trousers so his knees will bag. <laughs> yeah, go on, sir. Well, another big point is extent of wardrobe. Oh. Gildy should win that one, too. His wardrobe extends farther out than... No, see here, hooker. Are nice clothes your hobby, sir? Oh, yes, uh, Mr. Leslie. It always has been. You see, I was elected the best-dressed fellow in my class at college. After I introduced peg-top pants and yellow-button shoes. Uh, I'd like to see uh, some of your ensembles, Mr. Gildersleeve. I suppose, of course, you have a country squire suit in Orkney Twist. In yes, yes, what? Orkney Twist. Oh. You know, that new hand-woven suiting? Very popular in New York this season. Yes. Uh, have you any of it with you, Leslie? Only that boat I was taking out to Hollywood. I I'll bring it in. 
He's a master with a needle, that Leslie. Oh? oh, they're mad about him in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, probably the last boat of Orkney Twist left in America. Pretty loud material, isn't it? That just shows your lack of taste, Judge Hooker. That orange diagonal stripe is just what the chocolate background needs to set off the little blue dots. <laughs> well, you're right, Mr. Gildersleeve. It's the rage. Yeah. Mr. Leslie, I just had an idea. How would it be if you made me a suit out of that uh, Corkney twist, huh? Don't be foolish, Gildersleeve. How can they get a suit for you out of that bolt? Well, there can't be more than 12 or 13 yards there. Yep. Hooker, I only require five yards of cloth. But if you keep putting in, you're just going to need six feet of dirt, and that's all. <laughs> well, gentlemen, what do you say? I think it might be arranged. Oh, splendid. Gildy, are you sure you can afford it? Yep. Afford? Why, the question of payment doesn't enter into this, Judge Hooper. Hooker! Thank you. Uh, if Mr. Gildersleeve is taken with this material and wishes a suit whipped up, he shall have it at no expense. What? Oh, that's wonderful. If, no, I couldn't let you do a thing like that. But, my dear man, we'd be delighted. Oh, no, at least let me pay the cost of the material. You needn't do anything of the sort. But I insist. Oh, well, all right, if it'll make you any happier. I doubt it. Yeah. How much is the material? Oh, why, speak of it. I mean, nothing. Huh? Uh, what is it, Leslie? Oh, it didn't cost us much, uh, Thirty-five, I think. Thirty-five dollars? Why, that's very reasonable. Yes, you require five yards, don't you? Yeah. Five yards at thirty-five a yard. That makes, a uh, hundred and seventy-five dollars, doesn't it? If it does. If nine goes into seven... Oh, my goodness, it does. <laughs> Mr. Halchester speaking. Hello. This is the man who was just up there with Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, hello, Judge Rucker. Hooker. Hooker, Mr. Halchester. I wonder if you could make me a suit just like Gildersleeve. You want the same suit? Yeah, but not the same size. Well, uh, I thought you didn't like that material. I didn't at first, but the colors sort of grow on you. Well, I'm not sure we have enough of that Orkney twist. But I don't take much. Only about two and a half yards. Say you'll do it, Mr. Halchester. I'm not going to take a back seat to Gildersleeve, that bold grummel with a big bumper. <laughs> well, um, maybe. You will? Oh, fine. When do you want to take my measurements? Uh, how about tomorrow morning? I'll be there. Meantime, I'll send a check right over to seal the bargain. Let me see, two and a half yards, $35. Uh, $87.50, isn't it? Yes, uh, eighty-seven fifty for the cloth and the same for the tailoring. Uh, comes to exactly $175. What? <laughs> Oh, the tailoring. Oh, I hadn't figured on that. Well, you didn't charge Gildersleeve anything for tailoring. Oh, that's true. But Mr. Gildersleeve is a prominent man with a style following. Poppycock! Who'd ever be dumb enough to follow that big buffalo styles? Well, for one, um, you. Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> well, I'll send the check over this afternoon. And Mr. Halchester. Yeah? Have you selected anyone as the best-dressed judge in town yet? No. Well, I hope that my buying this suit won't influence your decision. <laughs> <laughs> my that old... Hey, Leslie. Yeah, what is it, Chesty? Another sucker just hooked himself. Yeah, who? That judge was here with a fat chump. That makes 11 best-dressed boobs we catch in this town. Chesty, I gotta hand it to you. This is the sweetest switch on the suit racket I ever heard of. It sure is. Now, uh... What size would you say we should get for the little squirt that just formed? Uh, he'd take about a 32 in a boy's suit. <laughs> okay, then. Wire Joe to airmail us one 32 boys and one big one. Say, um, uh, 48 stub. Okay. Uh, and tell him to leave the seams open. 
sure. Say, what's the real name of this horse blanket material? You mean Orkney Twist? Yeah. At the factory, it's known as backstretch burlap. <laughs> We'll hear from the great Gildersleeve again in just a moment. But first, I wonder how many of you good housewives indulge in that neighborly American pastime, the chat over the back fence. It's a swell way to swap cooking hints and recipes as well as other news. Well, we at Kraft certainly approve of the custom because it's one way the news gets around about parquet margarine, the delicious spread for bread made by Kraft. You see, discovering a grand-tasting product like parquet margarine is the sort of thing you housewives like to brag a little about. Because it's smart to be wisely thrifty these days. And using parquet margarine makes you just that. Yes, parquet margarine is a wholesome spread for bread that tastes mighty good, yet costs very little. Why, that family of yours is sure to love its delicate, satisfying flavor. What's more, it's a wonderfully nutritious food. One of the best energy foods you can serve. And a reliable food source of important vitamin A. So I'll bet you'll want to brag a little, too, when you discover the economy of Parquet's delicious, wholesome goodness. But it's easy to find out. Tomorrow, just ask your dealer for Parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y, Parquet Margarine, made by Kraft. Now let's return to the great Gildersleeve, who is preparing to return to the Ritz Summerfield for his first fitting. Uh, hello, Pulteney. No, if you want my opinion as a style expert, you should wear a white mess jacket. Yes, with a black bow tie. That's right. Oh, no trouble at all. Call me anytime you need sartorial guidance. Goodbye, Pulteney. Isn't it just a little too early to be wearing a white mess jacket, Uncle? No, not for Pulteney, my dear. He just got a job as a soda jerker. <laughs> Well, I got to amble along now. By the way, what's the time? Haven't you got your watch? <laughs> no, if I carried in my vest pocket, the bulge might ruin my silhouette. <laughs> Isn't that silly? It certainly is. <laughs> I read it in the fashion magazine. I wonder if Bertie has pressed my top coat yet. Oh, Bertie! Yes, it's Mr. Gillsleeve. And I put a nice flower in the buttonhole, too. Oh, thanks. The geranium. <laughs> well, that's better than no flower at all, or is it? <laughs> My, Mr. Gillsleeve, it sure is a show balloting for you. Huh? But when I see you strutting down the street, I nudges myself and I says, Bertie Lee Coggins, you may work hard, but the result is worth the effort. Oh, thank you, Bertie. And just to show my appreciation, here, you can have back the geranium. For me? Well, thank you. Hi, Uncle. Say, did you see the big write-up about you in the paper? Uh, you mean all about Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve? The well-known businessman being selected by a famous New York fashion designer as one of the best-dressed men not only in Summerfield, but possibly in the entire country? Yeah, that was it. No, I didn't see it. <laughs> How do you know all about it, Uncle? Well, one of the reporters on the paper happened to be talking to me on the telephone, and I guess my clothes just sort of crept into the conversation. <laughs> was that how you was trying to call the newspaper all morning? If no, Bertie, I was... It was has anybody got the time? Yes, ten past one. Oh, I'll have to hurry right down and try on that new suit Mr. Halchester designed for me. Uh, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye. Everybody. I know it's going to look nice on you, Uncle. Yes, and lots of luck, Mr. Gillsleeve. Yeah, I hope you have a perfect fit, Uncle. Oh, yes. What? Oh, I see what you mean. (laughs) 
Hello. Who? Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, send him right up. Okay, let's trot out that 48 stub. I got it. Looks too big. Probably fit him like the skin on a raisin. Well, then you better do a good alteration, Chab. Now, watch your step. And remember, you ain't back in the tailor shop at Leavenworth, or else you will be. Oh, uh, come in, Mr. Gildersleeve. Leslie, I hope I haven't put you two gentlemen to a lot of trouble. Oh, no, Mr. Leslie's a very fast worker. Oh. Why, he's practically made that suit fly. Oh, how nice. Could I try it on now, please? Of course. Just slip out of your coat. Yeah. Yeah. Now slide into this one. Thanks. I can hardly wait. Yeah. Now button it. All right. <gasps> what do you think, Mr. Leslie? It fits him just like the skin on a grape. Oh. <laughs> yes, uh, you're going to get a lot of comments on that coat. Uh, don't you think it's a little too roomy? Well, for some people, maybe, uh, but not for you. Oh. Uh, you're the type that can stand a little room. Oh, can I? Well, uh, if, what do you think of the sleeves? Are they wearing sleeves over the knuckles this year? <laughs> oh. Well, uh, not quite. Oh. Uh, they should be taken in. Oh, and what about the lapels? Uh, if I move my head, the points tickle my ears. <laughs> well, uh, they should be taken in, too. Oh, and uh, the way it droops, I mean drapes in front, <laughs> I can't tell whether it's a loose sack suit or tight double-breaster. Well, in that case, you should be taken in. Uh, I hope I'm not giving you too much trouble, Mr. Leslie. Oh, no, not at all. When I sized you up, I must have been using a rubber tape measure. Oh, very good. Uh, now, if you're ready to try on the trousers, Mr. Gildersleeve, here they are. Uh, just step into the next room. The trousers. All right, thank you. I'll be right back, gentlemen. Oh, brother. Gee, that's the worst-looking botch yet. I don't know how I'm going to fix that coat up. Now, don't worry. All we got to do is send to the factory for a 44 lawn. Yeah. And when it comes in, use the back of this one and the front of the new one. What do you mean? Well, this guy's got a tricky shape. He's a 48 stub in the back and a 44 long in the front. <laughs> okay. But aren't we taking a little loss that way? So what? These suits only cost us $9.75 wholesale. I know, but why should we... Here he comes. Whatever you do, don't let him get a look at himself in a mirror. He'll jump out the window. <laughs> These trousers are a trifle too tight. Holy smoke, you gave him Judge Booker's pants. Uh, oh, come in. Come in. Yeah. I know, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, in fact, I'm a bit disappointed with the way the whole suit has come out. Oh. So I'm going to have Mr. Leslie recut the entire garment. Oh, say, I don't want you to go to all that trouble for nothing. Well, let's not say for nothing. Say for a slight alteration fee of uh, $9.75. Oh, well, that's awfully nice of you. Oh, don't mention it. I always welcome the opportunity to make a little change whenever I can. Yes. Uh, good afternoon. Is Mr. Gildersleeve home? Yes, and who is it to see him? I am. Excuse me, but who's you? Mrs. Salisbury Twitchell. Oh, the Mrs. Twitchell. Well, come right in and rest your umbrella. Thank you. Oh, Mr. Gillsleeve, I have the honor to announce the arrival of Mrs. Strawberry Twitchell. <laughs> yeah, who? Well, I wonder what that old... Ah, Mrs. Twitchell. <laughs> I was just saying, I wonder what that old friend wanted. <laughs> Will you have a chair, Mrs. Twitchell? 
That isn't what I wanted, Mr. Gildersleeve. Huh? I'll explain my visit simply so you can grasp it without too much of a struggle. Oh, thanks. Uh, Mr. Hopalong Cassidy, the movie star, arrives in Summerfield in two hours to aid our big defense bond drive. He does? Why, he's my favorite movie star. I'd like to meet him. Uh, you will have that opportunity. One of the members of my welcoming committee dropped some milk on his foot and cannot attend. If, uh, why should dropping a little milk on his foot keep him away? If I must go into detail, he's got a broken toe. The milk was condensed in cans and in a case. <laughs> Uh, therefore, Mr. Gildersleeve, in order that we are not faced with the situation of a welcoming committee consisting of 13 members, uh, will you join us? Yes. Yes, gladly. Incidentally, whatever made you think of little me? Well, it was that story in the paper regarding your selection as one of the best-dressed men in town. Uh. Newspapers exaggerate so, don't they? Oh, well, if you mean this old smoking jacket, well, don't worry. You'll really be bowled over when you see my appearance at the station. Mr. Cassidy's train arrives at 5.52. Now, please try to be there on time. And if any photographs are taken, kindly refrain from waving your handkerchief at the cameraman. Goodbye. Uh, well, uh, Jim, what? Uh, I couldn't help listening. Hop along, Cassidy. That's Bill Boyd. Yes. Can I come along and see him, huh? Can I? Why not? Uh, oh, I know why not. I have to stop at the hotel first and change into my new Orkney Twist Ensemble. But you aren't supposed to pick it up until tomorrow morning. Well, if they promise it for then, it's essential it'll be already now. And I needed to impress Hopalong, Twitchell, and Mrs. Cat. I mean, vice versa. <laughs> but why can't I just come along with you, huh? Oh, I guess you can at that. If you wait downstairs in the lobby. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Mr. Halchester, but don't you think the style is a little too juvenile for me? Oh, not at all, Judge Schnooker. Hooker. <laughs> Hooker, sir. Pardon me. No, I purposely designed that suit along boyish lines to bring out the, uh, the Mickey Rooney in you. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. Now, I hadn't pictured myself that way lately. <laughs> oh, you're the Mickey type, all right. <laughs> With this suit, I sort of feel like I should get a free baseball bat. <laughs> For the price I paid, you should throw in a pitcher from the Dodgers. <laughs> uh, excuse me. Yes? Who's on his way up? Mr. Gildersleeve. Huh? Thanks. Did I hear you say Gildersleeve is on his way up here? You heard the man. Oh, he mustn't find me here. I'm trying to surprise him. Can't I hide someplace until he leaves? Uh, why, yes, uh, right in the next room. Oh, thank you. Let me know. Let me know when he's gone. Hey, what's Fatcher doing coming around now? He isn't due till tomorrow. By then, we should be on our way to Florida. Oh, he don't worry me. But there's a guy from the Better Business Bureau waiting in the lobby. Uh-oh. Let's get out of here. Now, take it easy. We got our bags all packed. All we got to do is take an earlier train. Where's our timetable? Here, I, I got it marked. The streamline will leave in 30 minutes. Can we make it? Yeah. Only what are we going to do with that judgy in there? Or pudgy out there. <laughs> Shh. Now hide the judge's trousers in your suitcase. We'll work the old pants trick on both of them. Uh, enter, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, I hope you'll excuse me for coming so early, but I wonder if I could get my suit now. Oh, of course, Mr. Gildersleeve. Only uh, first, there's one little detail. Oh, yes. Uh, we'd like to compare the measurements of the trousers you're wearing uh, with the new ones. Of course, of course. Uh, would you mind taking them off? Oh, not at all, not at all. <laughs> 
You don't know how nice it is if you do this for me. (laughs) Here you are. Thank you. Now, if you'll kindly wait in the next room. Oh, anything to oblige. (laughs) Uh, Just make yourself comfortable in there. Don't worry. I will. (laughs) Deep in the... (laughs) Judge Hooker! (laughs) What are you doing hiding in the corner and without your pants? Same thing as you are. Being fitted for one of those Orkney twisters. Oh, getting a suit behind my back, eh? That's pretty low, Judge. And by George, I'm going to complain. Uh, Mr. Howchester, uh, Mr. Leslie, uh, that's peculiar. They're not here. Not only that, their bags and clothing aren't here either. What? Hey, I don't see my pants anywhere. My pants are gone, too. Yeah, this is going to be one of my bad days. <laughs> Don't get in a panic, Gildy. Maybe they just stepped out into the hall. Come on, let's look. Yeah, let's look in the hall. Well, you go first, Gildy. Uh, okay, you think it's going to be all right? Yeah! Oh! <laughs> no, it isn't all right. <laughs> Judge, there's something awfully funny looking around here, and I don't mean us. How about phoning downstairs? No, I can't. The telephone wires have been cut. Look. No question about it, then. They were crooks, all right. Yes. Fine people you introduced me to, Gildersleeve. Yes, and a fine judge you are, Hooker. You can't even recognize a crook when he steals your own pants. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. My pocketbook was in my trousers. It was? (laughs) Well, they never get mine. Look, (laughs) I always keep it in my coat. Oh, jumping jeeps, they did get my lucky half dollar. What's that? Hear that? Huh? Maybe it's all just a joke. Why, of course. Yeah, that's it. Come on in, boys. Yes, come on in. If Leroy, what are you doing here? Gee, I'm glad to see you, Unc. I was waiting in the lobby, and once the Howchester came down and checked out, I didn't know what to think. You checked out? Where'd he go? When he passed me, he was telling another man they'd have to go like 60 if they wanted to catch the Florida train. Say, where are your pants? On their way to Florida. <laughs> Judge, we've got to stop them before they pull out of town. How? We can't dash down the station in our shorts? Uh, Couldn't we pretend we're running in a marathon race? (laughs) Not me, brother. Oh, yeah. I got an idea, Unc. Just take the blankets off this bed, wrap one around each of you, and go to the station that way. Take the blankets. You're a bright boy, Leroy. But we'd never get past the lobby. Well, how about sneaking down the fire escape? There's a taxi stand right below. A taxi? That's it. Come on, Hooker. Grab a blanket. But we can't get away with this. Sure we can. When we get to the railroad station, I'll pass you off as a couple of Indians looking for a Pullman reservation. We'll never see our pants again. Yes, nor my lucky half dollar either. Well, what was lucky about it? Yes. Say, Unc, you better be careful. Your blanket's dragging. It is? Oh, <laughs> Yes, Gildy, you look like one of the ten best-dressed beds in town. Yes. Is that so? Why? Oh, hello, Mrs. Twitchell. <laughs> Fancy meeting you here. Don't speak to me, Mr. Gildersleeve. Just because we are here to welcome a cowboy star doesn't mean that you should come dressed as sitting bull. (laughs) I never did like her. Come on, come on, let's get out of here before it's too late. Uh Oh, 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 it it is too late. Uh, Hello, officer. You guys don't run around here in blankets. Come on, get into the station master's office here before you attract a crowd. But officer, we were just chasing a couple of crooks who stole our pants. Oh, there they are. Well, Mr. Halchester and Mr. Leslie, so they got you too, huh? Hello, Patso. 
Hiya, Judge Crooker. You poker! Fine work, officer. I don't know what you're talking about. One of these birds tried to pass a counterfeit coin at the ticket window. Oh, but, officer, it wasn't mine. It belongs to this guy. Yeah, who, me? Is this yours, buddy? A counterfeit? Oh, my goodness, it's my lucky half dollar. <laughs> The Great Gildersleeve will be with us again in a few minutes. But right now, what makes good cooks good? You know, I think it's their sense of flavor. They've learned the knack of preparing good food because they thoroughly enjoy eating it. Well, that's probably why so many really good cooks use parquet margarine these days. They've found that parquet margarine's delicate, satisfying flavor is pretty hard to beat, and they certainly ought to know. You see, outstandingly good flavor is what makes parquet margarine so different from old-time margarines. Yes, spread parquet margarine on bread or toaster rolls, and one taste will tell you the big difference. And that goes for cooking, too. Parquet tastes so wonderfully good, it's a real flavor shortening for baking, and just about perfect for pan frying. But flavor isn't the whole story. Parquet margarine is a wholesome, highly nutritious food. It's one of the best energy foods you can serve. And if you're vitamin conscious, you'll be glad to know that every pound of parquet contains 9,000 units of important vitamin A. So why not take a hint from the thousands of good cooks who use parquet margarine and try a pound or two yourself? Yes, tomorrow, sure. Ask your food dealer for parquet. P-A-R-K-A-Y. Parquet margarine. Made by Kraft. Sorry, but our time's up. Good night, folks. <laughs> Original music heard on this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. To think just what that means, of course it means many things. Our traditions of freedom, our democratic government, and our system of justice. But a fundamental part of the American way is our economic system. Our economic system is not perfect. That's a simple historical fact. But... The American economic system has brought greater material means for happiness to more people than any other system the world has ever known. Especially in these critical times, all of us should work to defend and improve this system. And the best way to defend and improve our economic system is to learn how it works. You can get a free booklet explaining our economy by writing to Box 10, Times Square Station, New York City. Just write to Box 10... Times Square Station, New York City, and ask for your free copy of The Miracle of America. Now back to Tales of the Texas Rangers. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Your local blue coal dealer presents The Shadow. 
These half-hour dramatizations are designed to forcibly demonstrate to old and young alike that crime does not pay. Before we present the first act of today's shadow story, a brief reminder to you homeowners. You all know what an unpredictable month March is. The weather's blustery, bitter cold one day and mild the next. And I don't have to remind you how very dangerous those extremes of temperature are to the health of everyone in your family. Now, if you want to ensure steady, comfortable warmth inside your home and help prevent late winter colds and illness, here's what you do. Call your nearest blue coal dealer. Get a supply of blue coal, the quality-tested hard coal that guarantees you steadier, more healthful heating performance and satisfaction. Don't gamble with just any ordinary coal. Insist on blue coal. Ask for it by name. It's the coal that's trademarked blue, so you can identify it at a glance. It's the coal that will give you better heat with less furnace attention. As our story opens, we find Lamont Cranston with his friend Margot Lane in his apartment, busily turning the dials of a shortwave radio receiver. Margot, a few nights ago, I came across a very peculiar noise on the radio. Couldn't figure out what it was, so... I got my recording set out tonight, and I'm going to make a record of this strange broadcast. Nick, I remember when you first got the recorder. We recorded everything we could think of. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, particularly our duets. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Start the machine. We'll record it right now. It doesn't make any sense. I can't make head or tail out of it. It doesn't sound like a human voice. Yet it's... Wait. I'll play our recording back on the phonograph. See, now, what do you There. Can we make it play slower? We might be able to analyze it better. Oh, yes, I'll slow it down. We cannot bring it down on land. Margot, it's a man's voice. Why, it's very clear when the record is played slower. <laughs> what a simple trick. They've merely made a record at a slow speed and played it fast so you can't get it. But how could anyone receive the message? They must have a recording outfit like mine and play it back at the low speed. Let's listen to the record again. Yes. Yeah. Just when I started. There's the group. Operator Steve, you battle plane lands here tonight. This mystery ship will be destroyed tomorrow. Tomorrow? We will fly this plane to the Gordon Lightship and then 10 miles due south. Gordon Lightship? We will cruise to that point in our boat and pick us up. This plane will be destroyed at sea. What do you suppose? We cannot bring it down on land at any cost. It will never be recovered. Right. We have the only existing set of plans, and the designer is dead. Operator one in command. Do you know what that means, Margot? No, I don't know. A new army plane is due tomorrow or next day at the airdrome. It's one of the most revolutionary inventions in the history of military aviation. Only one of these planes has been built. And not one of the men who worked on its construction was permitted to know all its secrets. And its designer is dead. Oh, I see. With this plane in the hands of an invading power, this country would be wiped out before our defenses could be mobilized. Well, tell me about it. What kind of plane is it? The plane is revolutionary in design, Margot. It's equipped with a very intricate shortwave radio control outfit. By means of this shortwave, one of the planes can control up to 50 flying bombs. Flying bombs? That's precisely what they are. Unpiloted miniature airplanes. They're extremely fast, can be directed by the mothership at any target from a speedy bombing plane to an army tank or battleship. 
far as I know, they've only built three or four of the flying bombs. We have so little to work on. What can we do? We've got to find the shortwave station that broadcasts that record. But how can we ever find it? You know, Margot, the closer you get to a broadcasting station, the louder the program comes in. Yes, naturally. In my car, I have a simple device with a needle and dial that shows accurately when you're getting near a radio transmitter. With the aid of that device, Margot, we're sure to find that station. I don't think it's any use of any further west, Lamont. And what does the dial read now, Margot? It's down to nine. Well, we'll go southeast now. The signal is getting stronger, Lamont. The dial reads 20 now. Good. Covered every inch of the city. There must be a road that goes further east from here. Well, the only place I know east of here is Robber's Reef. Do you think it could... Oh, it couldn't be out there. Why, there's only an old tumble-down house on the reef. I think you've hit it, Margot. How do you get there? There's an alley between a couple of these buildings here that leads out onto a sort of uh, short, narrow sandbar connecting the mainland with the end of the reef. Is that it there between those old buildings? So hard to see in this fog. There. Yes, that must be it. We'll try anyway. This is the gloomiest place I've ever seen. Lamont, look. The dial reads 30. Good. We're headed right. Margo, I'm going to stop here. Now, you stay in the car. Keep the doors locked. Till I come out of the house. Please don't go in there, Lamont. I won't, Margo. But I think the shadow will pay a call. <laughs> That's awful funny. <laughs> what was that? Who's there? Only the shadow. The shadow? Well, who are you? Where are you hiding? I can't see you. I'm hiding in the shadows. Where no man can see me. What'd you come here for? What do you want? I came to listen to you play that record you have in your hand. You can't do it. Nobody can hear these records, not even my son. Your son? Yes, this is his shortwave radio set. He lets me run it when he's at work nights. Did you make these records? You think I'm crazy? Of course not. I don't even make sense. Some darn fool pays me five dollars to play him on the air. He says it's just a joke, and they do sound pretty funny. Who is he? And don't if I know, he's some kind of a foreigner, comes here every so often and leaves me some more of them to play. What's your name? Joe Ryan. <laughs> of course, Joe. I knew you, and all about these records. I was just testing you. Yeah. You and I are going to play a joke on our friend. I'll bring your record here in a little while, just like one of his. And I'll pay you ten dollars to play it in place of the one you've got there. You'll think it's a great joke. <laughs> Ten dollars. <laughs> you're twice as much of a darn fool as he is. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, you're paying me just twice as much. That's why the joke's on you. Yeah. You'll think it's very funny, too. <laughs> well, here's to you, Corbin. I guess our work's about done. Tomorrow the Army's new plane will disappear. And so will we. Yes, Bola. We'll be all finished up. It's been a pleasure working with you. Perhaps your methods are a bit uh, ruthless, but they produce results. Uh, shall we listen to your last shortwave uh, broadcast and record it? Uh, just as a souvenir. No time for it now. Well, all right. Tune it in. 
It's such a simple idea, that high-speed recording. No one in the world can understand that. Wait a minute. Listen, there's something wrong with that message. The good thing we are recording it. Oh, I think it's your imagination, Paulette. Sounds like all the rest of your records. I know what my voice sounds like even at high speed. Now, play the recording back at the slow speed. Mm-hmm. Listen. Operator one. Operator one. Your plan to steal the new army bomber. Oh, sounds very strange. If you do not want this plan revealed, come at once to Joe Ryan's shack on Robert Reed. If you want your secret to remain a secret, come immediately. For I have things of grave importance to discuss with you. I'll be waiting for you, Operator One. This is the Shadow. <laughs> shadow? I've heard of him. He's dangerous. Perhaps we should leave tonight, Bola. You have the only plans and the designer's dead. Let's leave at once. Fool, we have yet to destroy the plane. Besides, Corbin, the Shadow knows too much. Bola will teach him a lesson he has long needed. Bola will teach him not to meddle with affairs of importance. Let's go at once. Don't drive so fast, Corbin. This fog is pretty thick. But you told me to hurry. Yes, but it would be a pity to disappoint the shadow. Put out your headlights, Corbin. We turn on to Robert's Reach here. All right. Drive slower, you fool. I'm just barely creeping. Well, we can't take any chance on any accidents now. Look. What's that? Right ahead of us. It's a car with no lights. Car with no lights. Coming in from Robert's Reach. It must be the shadow. Quick, Corbin. Steer out of its way. I can't without going into the bay. Going to hit us. Look out. <laughs> Uh, uh, are you all right? Yes. Fortunately, we're both going very slowly. There's somebody getting out of that car. Stop where you are before I shoot. Corbin, flash a light on his face. It's a woman. Ah, I thought it was our friend, the Shadow. What are you doing out here, young lady? I lost my way. Then why are you driving without lights? Well, I thought I could see better that way in the fog. I don't believe you. Uh, Corbin, look in the car and see if there's anyone else. Yeah. Perhaps you brought someone out to Robber's Reef. Young I lady, don't know what I... what you're talking about. I tell you I lost my way. Well, we'll soon find out. You are coming with me. No one else in the car, Bob. Good, Corbin. I'm sure there's nothing the matter with the car. Drive further into the water. Then bring ours to Joe Ryan's shack. The young lady and I are going to walk. Unless she is foolish and tries to run away. <laughs> Shadow's adventure continues in just a moment. You know, friends, it's true that nothing succeeds like success. In fact, nothing proves the merit of a product or the claims made for it as conclusively as its sales record. And the fact that Blue Coal ranks first in nationwide volume of sales is proof that it is a better anthracite. Countless thousands of you homeowners here and in communities the nation over have made that record possible. You've tried Blue Coal. You've compared it with other fuels, and you've kept Blue Coal's top-ranking position unchallenged throughout the year. Now there's a real treat ahead for you homeowners who haven't yet tried Blue Coal. There's the satisfaction of knowing you're getting the most in heating comfort 
that money can buy when you order Blue Coal by name. For the harmless blue coloring which identifies Blue Coal also guarantees you far better quality, far better all-around performance. Just try Blue Coal. Compare it with the coal you're burning at present. You'll see why Blue Coal is America's largest selling anthracite. You'll join those thousands of satisfied homeowners everywhere who know there's no substitute for blue coal for better heat with less furnace attention. So call your nearest blue coal dealer. His name is listed in the where to buy it section of your classified phone directory under the word blue coal. Step in there, young lady. Uh, what? Oh, it's you, mister. Hey, did you hear it? Did you hear the funny record? Yes. Very funny. Where's the shadow? Uh, I don't know where he is. Said he was a friend of yours. He is a great friend of mine. I'd like to see him. Uh, you can't see him, because even when he's here, he isn't. <laughs> he just talks to you. Ah, you're a fool, old man. Now, young lady, suppose you tell us what you know about the shadow. The shadow? I don't... don't pretend that you don't know him. You brought him here. All right, you, Corbin. Yes, Father. Take that piece of rope and tie the old man up. Hey, what for? I ain't done nothing. I just did what you told me to. Honest, I did. Shut up. I am well. No, you I don't, young lady. Stay away from that door. Oh, yes, Corbin. Oh, Corbin, oh, give me a hand. The young lady doesn't want to stay here. I heard her, too. That's this. That's this. Tie her to this chair. Fine. Now we will see. Oh. What hit me? Paula, did you do that? You may thank the shadow, Corbin. The shadow? I can't see you. Where are you? You hear where my voice comes from, don't you? That's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> I guess the last laugh belongs to Paula. It was too easy. Come, Corbin. We must get to the airdrome. We have work to do. Come, Corbin. Hurry. Hurry, Corbin. The X-1 should land just at dawn. It will be light in a few moments. I'm doing the best I can. I'm still worried about that girl and the old man back on Robber's Reef. You should have gotten rid of them. As soon as I leave you at the airport, I will go back and close their mouths forever. Leave me at the airport? Certainly, Corbin. You're a pilot. It's up to you to fly the army ship out to sea alone and bury it. Yes, but suppose something happens when I get out over the ocean. Suppose they don't pick me up. This is dangerous, Paula. Ah, your strong suit is not courage, Corbin. But don't worry. You will be picked up, as will I. The rest of our operatives are waiting even now on the boat, ten miles south of the Gordon Lightship. Do you still have the plans for the plane with you? Those plans have not been out of my sight since the day I got them. Uh, there's the entrance to the airport directly ahead. What do you plan to do, Paula? Simply this. The flight of this new plane has been veiled in greatest secrecy. There will be but one guard at the airport to meet us. You and I represent ourselves as inspectors from the war department. Once we get aboard the plane, it is simple. We'll overcome the pilot and anyone else on board, and the rest will be up to you. Uh, here. We can stop right here now. Look, Paula. Look, there she is now. She's just landed. Uh, and look right behind her. There are the three flying bombs coming in in perfect formation. Come. Let's get over to the plane. 
Sorry, sir. No one's permitted on this field. Oh, I'm Harry Johnson from the War Department, and this is Mr. Andrews, my assistant. We have been sent out to check the landing of the new plane. Do you have any identification? Identification? <laughs> Why, the best in the world. <laughs> Look, here are the plans for that ship. Is that good enough identification? <laughs> sure is. Uh, who is piloting her? I believe Lieutenant Flint, sir. Well, I'd like to get his report as to how she handled on her trip east. Well, there he is, just coming out of the cabin. Uh-huh. Oh, Lieutenant Flint. Yes? Mr. Johnson and Mr. Andrews from the War Department, sir. Uh, we came up to get your report on the flight firsthand. Did you fly in alone? Yes, sir. She handled beautifully in the air, and the flying bombs responded perfectly. Yeah, I've gone over these plans here, of course, but... I would like to step into the cabin and see what it looks like. Oh, certainly. Right this way, sir. The pilot sits up ahead here in this heavily armored cockpit. Now, by closing this metal door, he can be shut off completely from the rest of the ship. Oh, what is the purpose of that, Lieutenant? Uh, it's just an added armor protection for the pilot and the shortwave mechanism that controls the flying bomb. Uh, but, Lieutenant, uh, can the pilot communicate with anyone in the other part of the ship when the door is closed? Yes, yes. Step into the cockpit here. Now, you see this microphone? Yes. That's connected with a loudspeaker installed in the rear of the ship so that the pilot constantly can be in contact with the rest of the crew, even if the armored door is shut. Well, where's the equipment for the control of the flying bombs? That's right here, sir. Uh-huh. See this dial with numbers up to 50? You just set the indicator at any one of the numbers, and that throws the flying bomb of that particular number in line with the corresponding controls so that it can be manipulated separately. And uh, these three dials here control speed, direction, and altitude. It's perfectly simple. Is there anything more I can show you, sir? No. You have been a great help, Lieutenant. Uh, what is that switch in back of us? Huh? Oh, this? Well, that's the... Oh! All right, Corbin, take off immediately. As soon as you get in motion, I'll push the pilot out and jump out myself and tell the guard that you are running away with the ship. All right. There. There he goes. Now, hurry, Corbin, take her off. Good luck, Corbin. I'm going to jump now. Help! Stop! Help! Stop! Well, Corbin, your plan has worked perfectly. Up to now. What? What? Who said that? (laughs) The shadow. But how did you get here? I came with you in the car from Ryan's shack on Robber's Reef. You cannot escape from the shadow. But Borla killed you. No. He only shot at my voice. Where are you now? I am in the shadows of a cabin in back of you. But I can see you well enough to shoot you. If you don't bring this plane down immediately... No, don't shoot. I'll bring it down. Only don't shoot. Open the door. Open that door, I tell you. <laughs> well, Mr. Shadow, you can shoot your heart's content. Perhaps you heard Lieutenant Flynn say that the pilot's cockpit is well armored. Corbett, bring this plane down. I'll bring it down, all right. The three flying bombs in the ocean ten miles south of the Gordon Lightship. But when the plane lands, you will land in it alone. For I will leave it by parachute before it goes into its last power dive. What do you think of that, Mr. Shadow? Why don't you speak? Shadow, can't you hear me? (laughs) I hear you all right, Corbin. And thanks for the suggestion about a parachute. It was nice of you. 
I'm going to leave you, Corbin, but not for long. I'll chase you to the ends of the earth. You'll never get away. Goodbye, Corbin. <laughs> What's the matter with those mechanics? Can't they get that pursuit ship started? Look at that plane gain altitude. Take it easy, Lieutenant Flynn. The mechanics are warming it up as fast as they can. Uh, How's your head? You got a nasty crack. It's all right. It's all right. Wait till I get my hands on that guy. Where did the other one go to? In the excitement, he ducked into a car and beat it. He sent out a police call? Sure, first thing. Hey, look. Look. Someone just bailed out of the ship. Now, that's funny. The parachute's opening, but I can't see anybody. That's the darndest thing I ever saw in my life. Look, the number one flying bomb is diving for the parachute. Will it explode if it hits the parachute? Once the firing mechanism is released, it'll go off and hits anything. Oh, my Lord. It just missed the parachute. And it's diving. It's diving straight towards us. It's out of control. But it's... I've had it. Hey, all right. Yeah. Yeah, but boy... I'd hate to be any closer. What happened to that parachute? It came down right in back of us. But I still can't see anyone. Well, I can't stop now. i got to take off and force that guy down. Lieutenant Flynn. Huh? I'm hearing things. Boy, I've gotten a worse smack on the head than I thought. No. It's not your imagination, Lieutenant. You're hearing the voice of the shadow. The shadow? Well, who are you? Where are you? How did you get here? I'm in the cockpit right behind you. But we have no time for explanations. Lieutenant, you and I have caught up with a gang of international spies. Oh, so that's their game. Well, how do you know this? I've been with them all night. Followed their every move. Perhaps you saw me bail out of the stolen plane. Yeah, and you nearly got blown to kingdom come by that flying bomb. Too close for comfort. What is your first move, Lieutenant? Well, I'm going to fly close to the stolen plane and call by radio. And if that crook won't listen to reason, I'll force him down. Good. You're almost close enough now. Yeah. He sees it. Look, one of the flying bombs is turning. It's heading right for us. Can you turn out of its way? I'll try. Those things are too fast. They can turn on a dime. Look at that thing fly. Your only chance is to shoot it down. Can you hit it? I've got to. Good shooting, Lieutenant. My Lord. Look, that madman has released the one remaining bomb. Yes. He's right behind us. Our only chance is to put this plane into a power dive. Here it goes. If I could only get to that rear machine gun. I'll handle it. You know how to use it? Yes. You got it, Shadow. Wow, that was close. Now I think Corbin will listen to reason. I'll call him by shortwave. Calling plane X-1. Calling plane X-1. Corbin, this is your last warning. Land that plane. No, no, don't shoot me down. Don't shoot. I'll land the plane. Hold it. Don't, don't shoot. Turn immediately and go back to the airport. All right. All right. I'm turning. Boy. That's a good day's work finished. For you, but not for me. Now, what do you mean, Shadow? There are several things left undone. The Coast Guard must be instructed to pick up a boat ten miles south of Gordon Light. It has Ballers operatives on board. Oh, well, we can do that right now. As 
soon as we see Corbin safely landed and in the hands of the guards, you must fly me to Robber's Reef. Ball is headed there and he must be captured. I'll call the ground at once and have the police notified to follow up. Uh, who's there? Baller, what do you want? What are you doing here? Well, I'm glad to see my little birds have not flown. And now, young lady, there are a few questions I would like to ask you. Can't you loosen these ropes a little? They're cutting my arms. In a few minutes, they won't hurt your arms anymore. Nothing will hurt you anymore. Was that a boat or, or did a plane land here? A plane? You couldn't land a plane on Robert's Reef. Say, Mr. When are you going to untie me? I'm not going to untie you. I'm going to kill you. Me? I ain't done nothing. What you want to kill me for? I only did what you told me. I just... Oh, you <laughs> You are the only one left, young lady. The shadow is dead and you... Who's there? Who closed that door? The shadow. But the shadow is dead. No, Bola, the shadow is not dead. Put that gun away. I showed you once that you could not shoot a voice. No, but I can shoot a very lovely young lady shadow. And I don't think you'd care for that. I'm going out this door, and I'm going to shut it after me. If it opens, I shoot. And if I don't hit you, shadow, I'm going to kill this girl. You can't stop Bola. No one can stop Bola. But the police, I'll shoot them like dogs. I'll kill every one of them. I'll kill. Ah, ah, ah. They got it. You all right, Margot? Yes, Lamont. Here, I'll cut these ropes. We have to get out of here. Thank you, Lamont. Well, Margot, they've killed Borland. I hate to see any man die by violence. But if that man dedicates his life to the evil task of plotting and espionage against a friendly country, he faces but one fate. And that fate is justly death by violence. And now here's John Barclay, Blue Coal's eating expert. Thank you, Ken Roberts, and good afternoon, everyone. I think it's a fact that of all things a man owns and operates, he knows less about his furnace than anything else. Now, the weather this time of year, as Ken Roberts said earlier in the program, is particularly treacherous. You've got to pay strict attention to the control of your fire and your furnace dampers to keep the house from becoming chilled off or suddenly overheated as the temperature falls and rises outside. So if you have any question in your mind about damper control, or if you want to be sure you're operating your furnace in the most efficient and most economical manner, here's what I suggest you do. Call your nearest blue coal dealer. Ask him to send a John Barclay serviceman to check up on your furnace. John Barclay men are trained heating experts. They can show you how to get the best possible heating results. And there's absolutely no charge or obligation of any sort for their advice. Always feel free to call on your blue coal dealer. I thank you. Today's program is based on a story copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. All the characters and all the places named are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. The Shadow Magazine is now on sale at your local newsstand. The weed of crime bears big.
time, same station, Blue Coal, America's finest anthracite, will again present another thrilling adventure of the shadow. Be sure to listen, and be sure to burn Blue Coal, a solid fuel for solid comfort. Too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. But your aching head and stomach hear this message from Old Speedy. Alka Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Ah, those speedy Alka Seltzer bubbles burst into action to relieve your upset stomach and aching head fast. It was only as directed. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. Transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. He's just plain vanished. And there's no note anywhere, Chester? No, sir, nothing. I looked again all over. Well, it's two days now. That isn't like Doc. Yeah, I still think he's just gone off on an emergency out in the country somewhere. Well, maybe, but he's always left word before. Mm-hmm. Well, what'll we do, Mr. Dillon? I don't know. Might start asking people, Chester. Uh, try the saloons and the store and uh, maybe the depot, huh? All right, sir. I'll go right now. What? Well, I do declare. What? Riding right up Front Street is as big as life. What? <laughs> Why, that old devil. Well, you sure are a sight for sore eyes, Doc. Where in the world have you been, anyway? Hello, Chester. Matt? Oh, you had us worried, Doc. Oh, that's so? Well, you've been gone two days. I know. Next time, leave word, Doc. I will. I surely will. If I can. Well, it sure would save us a lot of time. Wait a minute. What do you mean, Doc, if you can? Just that. If they let me, uh, I'll leave word. Come on inside, huh? Okay, Doc, I'm curious. You want to tell me about it? Well, I can tell you part of it, the least important part. I made a promise about the rest. You know how it is, man. No, but you tell me. Well, the other night, Wednesday it was, I was peacefully asleep on my couch when a couple of riders tromped right into my office. They said a man was hurt bad on a place out past Fort Dodge. So naturally, I got up and went along with them. Well, then why didn't you leave a note and say so? They told me not to. They told you what? Let him talk, Chester. Of course, I figured then it must be a shooting. 
But my job is to take care of everybody, sinner and saved alike. And so when we finally got to this place the next day... What place? That's part of what I promised not to tell, Chester. Oh, my. But like I was saying, there was a young man there who'd got himself shot in the back. The bullet lodged right in his spine. I dug it out and did all I could for him. And then I just sat there for quite a spell. And then I put my things away and I... I walked out into the other room. Well, Doc, how is it? I did what I could. What do you mean? He's dead. The shock of extracting that bullet was too much for him. It's a bad place, the spine. You killed him, huh, Doc? No. No, I didn't kill him. He's dead, ain't he? That boy wouldn't have lived more than a couple of days anyway with that bullet where it was. Whoever put it there murdered him. Want me to shut him up? Not yet. Doc, tell me something. You know that boy in there? I do. Mm-hmm. The three of us here, you know any of us? Him? I've seen him around somewhere. Dodge, I guess. Well, that settles it. He ain't walking out of here. Shut up. You know his name, Doc? No, I don't. Might come to me, though. Let me think. You don't understand, Doc. He wants to kill you already, and now you're trying to remember his name. That's just going to make it worse. You can't kill a doctor for following his oath. No. I shot that boy and he tried to get away and shoot you just as easy. Don't be a fool. I'm a doctor. And since there's nothing more I can do here, I've got to be available to other patients. Don't you know I'm the only doctor within a hundred miles of Dodge? Right now, it's one too many. Now, wait a minute. I'm kind of thinking the doc's right. You know, he ain't like an ordinary man. A doctor's, well, it's almost like he ain't quite human somehow. He's human enough to tell what he knows that hard-head marshal he got in Dodge. Way well, I figured it's us or the doc. I'm not interested in what you figure, mister. Right this minute, there may be some woman having a baby and needing me real bad. There may be several folks needing help. He's right. We can't kill him. Well, I can't. You do what I say and nothing else, you hear? And Doc, listen to me. If I let you go, will you promise not to tell her about anybody you recognized here? And if I don't? And doctor or no doctor, I'll kill you myself. Yes, I suppose you would. All right, I'm here as a doctor. And nothing else. I promise. Word of honor, Doc. My word of honor. Okay, get out. Well, that's quite a story, Doc. Oh, you played it right smart if you ask me who were they, Doc. Well, I only recognize one of them, Chester, besides the man they'd shot. Have you thought of his name yet? Chester, don't you understand... I gave my word I wouldn't tell. Oh, but that was just so you could get away. Yes, but still I gave my word. It doesn't matter how or why. But, Doc, they're just a bunch of killers. I know. Leave him alone, Chester. But I don't... Yes, sir? Matt? Yeah? Wouldn't you do the same if you were in my boots? That would be a hard choice, Doc, but... Uh... Uh, yeah, I suppose I would. Uh, I think any man would. At least, why is any man of honor? I guess I wasn't really thinking about it that way. Well, I'm going to get myself some sleep. Matt, that was a good boy they murdered. 
I hope they hang for it. That blasphemy. How are we ever going to find them, Mr. John? I don't know, Chester. We don't even know who they killed. And just think. Doc could lead us straight to them right now. It isn't making the Doc happy, Chester. No, sir, it sure isn't. Sincerely, Matt Dillon. You was... Marshal? What? Uh, Jake Worth. Why, you haven't come to Dodge in six months that I know of. I'm here now, Marshal. Oh? But trouble, Jake? I'd call it that. Well? You know that cottonwood? Big one down at Brandy Bend? Yeah. There's a hole down by the roots at the north side of it, Marshal. I put a sack in that hole this morning. It's got twenty thousand dollars in it. Twenty thousand. Well, that's a lot of money, Jake, even for you. It isn't. If Hank gets back all right. Hank? Well, that's your youngest boy, isn't it? Eighteen last month. He didn't show up the other night, Marshal, and next morning I found a note tacked on the crowd. Said to leave the money or they'd kill him. Well, come on, Jake. We'll try to get there before they pick up the money. No, Marshal, I won't take any chances. They'd shoot him sure if we did that. You should have told me before you left the money. You should have come here first. You didn't hear what I said, Marshal. I won't take the chance. All I want now is for you to watch for anybody who turns up rich around here. Jake, listen to me. You listen to me, Marshal. Nobody's going to do a thing till Hank's back safe on the ranch. Not one dang thing. Jake, if they killed Hank, you'd want him hung, wouldn't you? I'll hang him myself if it comes to that. All right, then, let's go. Let's get down to Brandy Ben and wait for him. No, I already told you, no. Jake! I... I think Hank's dead. What? I, I think they've already shot him, and he's dead. What are you talking about? Where is he? I don't know. How come you think he's dead? Well, I... I, I can't tell you. Marshal, I've had about enough of this. Look, we're wasting time here. Come on, Jake. I'll tell you what I can on the way to the river. You better, by heaven, or one of us ain't never going to get to the river. Jake Worth was known as a hard, hot-tempered man, but he was straight as they come. He'd made one fortune in Texas cattle and another in buffalo hides, and now all he wanted was his ranch and his three sons to work it with him. The Worths were good men. They didn't cause any trouble, and they worked hard. It wasn't easy to tell Jake, but without mentioning Doc, I said what I could. And when we reached the Arkansas, we hid our horses in a clump of bushes and worked our way on foot up to the big cottonwood. And then we saw it. That's him. That's Hank. Hey, I'm afraid so, Jake. <laughs> they killed him. They killed him all right. He was a good boy. Had his whole life to live yet. Why'd they do it? If I gave them the money, why'd they do it? I... I'm sorry, Jake. 
Marshal, I want the truth now, every bit of it. Well, that's all I know, Chick. Hank tried to break, and one of them shot him. But we'll get them. I'll take care of myself soon. You tell me who they are. I don't know who don't they are. Don't lie to me, Marshal. You know a lot you're not telling me. I've told you all I can. That's Chick. my boy lying there, Marshal. He's been murdered, and if I didn't know you so well, I'd begin to think maybe you had something to do with it yourself. Easy now, Jim. Then why don't you tell because me? Because the man who told me about it had to promise not to name anybody. That's why. What man? Who is he? I'll get it out of him if I have to cut it out. I know. That's why I can't tell you who he is. What kind of a lawman are you, anyway? I've told you all I can, Jake. No. No, you haven't. Marshal, I don't believe your story about nobody promising nothing. You know who done it. You're going to tell me. I'm giving you 24 hours to name those men. And me and my boys are coming to Dodge. There'll be blood spilt, Marshal. Jake, I give you my word, I don't know who did it. I don't believe you. I'll help you take your boy home now. Go on back to Dodge. I'll manage here. You're making a bad mistake, Jake. 24 hours, Marshal. I'll be there. We'll find you wherever you'll be. Jake, I... So long, Jake. Ladies and gentlemen... At the conclusion of tonight's show, our star, William Conrad, steps out of the character of Matt Dillon to bring you an announcement which we are certain will be of great interest to all our listeners. So be sure to listen at the close of tonight's program for a special message from William Conrad. And now the second act of Gunsmoke. There was no use arguing with him. The man's grief had destroyed his reason. And the worst of it was, I knew his sons would do whatever Jake told him to do. Unless I could stop it somehow, I'd have to shoot it out with three good and perfectly innocent men. And for no reason at all. I thought about it all the way back to Dodge. And by the time I got there, I had an idea. I went up to Doc's and I talked it over with him. All right, Matt. I'll do whatever I can. Well, it might not work, Doc. And you'll be exposing yourself to a lot of danger. Have you thought about that? I have. I've also been thinking about the men who killed Hank Worth. Well, we could wait till they start spending their money, or it'll one of them gets drunk and maybe talks too much somewhere. Yes, we could, but... Meantime, you and the Worths will have a gunfight. Oh, and that'd be a terrible thing to let happen. All right, then, Doc, let's go. I want to get to the ranch before dark. You know, Matt, I haven't been out here since Mrs. Worth died. It must be four or five years now. 
place sure has changed. Yeah. I don't see anybody around, do you? Well, maybe they saw us first. Maybe they're hid out. Yeah, maybe. That's far enough, Marshal. Watch it, boys. If you make the move, shoot. Jake, I came here to stop a shooting, not to start one. You can stop it, Marshal. Just tell me who killed my son. If I knew, I'd be on his trail, Jake. What's Doc doing here, anyway? Tell him, Doc. I took the bullet out of Hank just before he died. What? That's right, Jake. Now, come down here where we can talk like friends, and I'll explain it. Stay where you are, boy. All right, Doc, let's hear it. Well, they got me out of bed, Jake, and they led me out into the country. Hank had been shot in the back, and I extracted the bullet. But it was no use. He'd have died anyway. There were three men there, and I recognized one of them. Who was he? I had to promise I wouldn't tell Jake, or, or they'd have killed me. Well, that don't matter now. Think about it, Jake. Doc gave him his word, and you're asking him to break it. Now think about it for a minute. I'm thinking, and I'm thinking about my boy, too. Hank's dead, Jake. We can't help him. Shot in the back, and the coward who did it's running free. You want to help get him, Jake? Don't ask fool questions, Marshals. Of course I want to get him. All right, then listen to me. Those men told Doc if he talked, they'd kill him. Yes, and they meant it, too. All right, so I got an idea, Jake. We'll spread it around that Doc has identified the killer. The news will reach him soon enough. In the meantime, I'll lay low and have Chester tell everybody I've ridden out after them. Go on. And we'll just wait. One or two or maybe all three of them will come into Dodge to kill Doc some night soon. I still might get away. I'll deputize you and your boys right now and you can wait for them with us. But you're going to have to stay hidden like me. Well, we won't mind that. Not if we get a chance with them, we won't. Good. Funny thing, though. What? man like Doc here, rather than break his word, he'll make himself a target for those killers. Yeah. Look, Jake, Doc and I are going to go back to Dodge now. I'll see that the story gets started, and in a day or two, you and your boys can ride in, but separately, though. Otherwise, it might cause talk. I understand. And come straight to Doc's. We'll get there. For the next few days, Doc never left his office. I figured that it'd make him look scared and draw the killers right into his place. The rest of us sat around in his back room and waited. Chester kept us supplied with food and coffee. And on the sixth night, about midnight, we got our game. Mr. Dillon, I think it's Sam. They just rode up Front Street, three of them. They're tying up outside right now. They acted too deliberate like for ordinary riders, so I run up the back way to tell you. Good. Doc, come on in here, huh? What do you want me to do, Matt? Take cover in here and stay out of sight, huh? Whatever you say, man. Let's go downstairs and meet them, Marshal. No. We might just scatter them that way, Jake. Mm. Now, listen. One of them will probably stand guard on the street while the other two come up here to get Doc. Chester, mm. you and the two boys go down the back way. Jake and I'll wait in Doc's office. Now, don't jump that man until we go into action up here. You understand? Yes, right, Doc. All right, then. Move and move fast. All right. Come on, Jake. Now what? Well, we'll just wait here in the dark. Good. 
I'm going to bunch up Doc's blanket on the couch here so that they'll think he's in it. What? They're on the stairs now. All right, get back in the corner, Jake, or we'll be shooting each other. Yeah. Now, quiet. And don't start shooting till I do. Get your hands up here under arrest. Under him. You all right, Jake? Yeah, I got one of them. I'm all right. Doc. Doc, come on out. They're dead. Light the lamp, will you, Doc? All right. You okay, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, come on in, Chester. So we got him. He tried to get away when he heard the shooting up here, but he runs smack into one of the Worth boys. He's dead. Uh, bring the lamp over here, Doc. No, I don't know either one of these men. Now, Doc, you can tell us now, is one of these the man you recognized? This one here. I remembered later I treated him for a broken nose some time back. I never did know his name. He came up the trail with a herd, I think. Yeah. Uh, Doc, will uh, you take care of things? Sure, man. Well, Jake. Marshal, I mean, the boys will be getting back to the ranch now. Sure. Marshal, I. What, Jake? I doubted you. I'm sorry for that. Oh, forget it. No. No, it's best I remembered. A man shouldn't make mistakes like that. Well, there was no harm done. The way it worked out. Uh, I'll buy you a drink before we leave, Marshal. I think I'd like that, Jake. Come on, let's go. a special announcement. Here is our star, William Conrad. Thank you, George. You know, I believe this is the first time I've ever set aside the character of Matt Dillon to speak to you. But this is important to all of us here on the show, and I hope it will seem so to you. Starting next week, Gunsmoke will come to you at a new time, on a new day, sponsored by Chesterfield Cigarettes. Chester, Doc, Kitty, and I, together with all of our strong-minded, brawling, hard-living citizens of Dodge, who will come to you next Monday, July the 5th. So from now on, that's when you'll hear Gunsmoke, on Mondays. And we'd like to think that all of our listeners will find time this coming Monday night, July the 5th, to tune in to their local CBS radio station for Gunsmoke. Until then, good night.
Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Lawrence Dobkin, and Harry Bartell. Harley Bear is Chester, and Howard McNear is Doc. Join us again Monday, July 5th, as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. George Walsh speaking. For the top tunes of rural America, here's Saturday Night Country Style every week on the CBS Radio Network. For a Christian sci-fi with humor, adventure and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey. Travel with Jarl through the universe and several dimensions as he unearths items to help those struggling to survive on Earth during the catastrophic conclusion of the age. GraceGrows.com has more information. Read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey by Grace S. Gross. Lever Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap that gives you a wonderful new kind of suds, presents... Our friend, Swan, with my friend, Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgot. Theirs will still be hot. awards and prizes for outstanding accomplishments. There's the Academy Award for Motion Pictures, the Pulitzer Prize for the Best Plays, and the Carnegie Medal for Heroism. That's the one I should get. Why? Because I live with Irma Peterson. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Me, Jane Stacy, I think Irma's a pretty nice kid. It's only that in her mind, there's a vacuum that even Hoover couldn't duplicate. <laughs> For instance, the other night, I came home and found Irma sitting in the apartment with the lights off. So I said, honey, why are you sitting in the dark? And Irma said, well, I just made some cookies and the recipe said, when finished, set in a dark place and cool. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> but then Irma is the least of my problems. I, unfortunately, happen to be one of those girls who is in love with the man she works for. 
Up until now, I felt I had the field pretty well to myself. But yesterday, Richard engaged a new girl in the office. One Gloria Benson. And I'm so burned up, I could scream. Oh, Jane. Yeah, honey. When I picked you up for lunch yesterday, who was that new girl in the office? New girl? I hadn't even noticed her. <laughs> well, your boss, Richard, seemed very attentive to her. He did. It's funny it escaped me completely. She's very pretty. Really? I didn't even pay any attention to what she looked like. She has lovely red hair. That's henna. <laughs> it's henna because I saw all the dark roots. Oh, Jane, then you are worried. Worried? Oh, honey, don't be ridiculous. I should hate to think I had to worry about some brazen little redhead with false eyelashes and a figure that... She is pretty, isn't she? <laughs> well, just to look at. But, uh, don't worry, Jane. You've got a great deal more inside of you than she has. Inside of me. <laughs> There's a comforting thought. It may interest you to know, Irma, that very few men go around carrying fluoroscopes. <laughs> oh, but, Jane, I, I'd, I'd hate to think you were jealous. I never get jealous of Al. Oh. <laughs> Irma, why do you always have to bring his name up when we're talking about people? <laughs> and Irma, please understand, I'm not at all worried about losing Richard. In fact, I have a date with him this evening. He's coming over. Hello? Hello, Jane. This is Richard. Oh, uh, Richard, I was just about to call you. Well, if it's about our date, Jane, I I'm afraid I'll have to disappoint you. I'm staying at the office this evening. Oh, and... um, you need any help? No, no, Miss Benson, the new girl, will be here. Oh, that's why I'm staying late. I want to show Gloria how we operate. <laughs> you know, there, there, there just isn't time during the day. You understand, don't you? Certainly I do. And goodbye, Dr. Rhinelander. <laughs> oh, Jane, what's wrong? Nothing. Then why are you chewing your hat? Oh, was I? Well, it's just that he, he... Oh, Irma, how can he do this to me? I hate him. Men are beasts. Yes, isn't it thrilling? <laughs> oh, Irma, please, this is no laughing matter. Richard alone in that office with that redhead. Who knows what can happen? Yes, yeah, she's liable to get your books all mixed up. <laughs> oh, don't cry, Jane. Oh, I can't help it. Oh, but don't forget what you once told me. There are plenty of fish in the ocean. I admit they won't take the place of men, but it'll give you a hobby. Oh. <laughs> Irma, just be still. I know what I'll do. I'll quit. That's what I'll do. I'll quit. Well, do you think you should? Certainly. I've been a blind fool. Well, I've worked my last day for Richard Rhinelander. Well, it's your own fault, Jane. You should work nights like the new girl. <laughs> now, Irma, listen. My quitting is a personal matter, and I don't want the neighbors to know all about it. All right. What do you think I am, a blabbermouth? Yes. <laughs> Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little church steeples. One with bats in the belfry. <laughs> Why, Professor? <laughs> Excuse me, a little joke I picked up from a steeplejack. <laughs> well, girls, what's new? Jane is quitting her job. Irma. 
Oh, don't worry, Jane. I'm not going to tell him about the redhead who's in the office with Richard tonight. <laughs> Jane, you are really quitting your job. And this redhead... Please. Professor, I'd rather not talk about it. Oh, Jenny, darling, don't let jealousy, that green-eyed monster, get the best of you. That's what ruined my marriage, that green-eyed monster. Jealousy? No, my wife. <laughs> Just a little joke to cheer you up. <laughs> I've been trying to cheer up, too. I told Jane she can get another fellow, maybe someone like my Al. Please, Irma, a remark like that is only good for stopping hiccups. <laughs> Janie, dear. Oh, stop trying to cheer me up, the two of you. I'm a grown woman. I... But why should he treat me like this because of some redhead? What do men find so fascinating about these flaming redheads? I've known plenty, believe me. Their hair may look like it's on fire, but many turn out to be false alarms. <laughs> Hello, Jane. Hello, Mrs. O'Reilly. Hello, Irma. Hello, Mrs. O'Reilly. Look, the Misha don't say hello. It's an intuition. She knows I hate her. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Janie, here are the socks I promised you I'd knit for Richard. Oh, thanks, Mrs. O'Reilly, but I haven't any need for them now. Irma, you can give them to Al. Oh, Jane, I don't think a girl should give her fellow socks. That, that's very personal. After all, that's where he keeps his feet. <laughs> but, Janie, darling, you wanted them especially for Richard. What happened? She had a fight with him over a redhead. Oh, Irma, be still. Don't take it to heart, Janie. Men are a dime a dozen. Take me. I'm 39. How's that again? I've been a widow for 39 years. <laughs> I'm not much to look at. I'm just an old landlady. And would you believe it? The men still make eyes at me. <laughs> Nowadays, a man will do anything to get a room. <laughs> Believe me, Mrs. O'Reilly, when the housing shortage is over, your own cat won't go out with you. Now, listen here, you... Oh, please, please, don't get started again, the two of you. Here's the money for the socks, Mrs. O'Reilly. Thank you, Janie. Come on, Professor, the girls want to be alone. I'm leaving. And Janie, dear, don't cry. He's making you miserable now. But someday you'll be his wife, and then you'll show him what real misery is like. <laughs> Bye. Jane, honey, is there anything I can do to cheer you up? No, Irma. I've reached a decision with Richard, and I'm going to go through with it. If he likes Miss Benson, that's entirely up to him. In fact, I'm going to write him a letter of resignation immediately. I want him to get it in the mail the first thing in the morning. Come in. Hello, Jane. Hiya, chicken. Hello, Hal, honey. What makes you so happy? Just got the news. They're raising the unemployment check from 20 to $25. <laughs> $25? Yeah. And to think my mother wanted me to go to college. Gee, <laughs> now you'll have real money. Well, ain't just counting on that. You know, little Al always got a hot deal on the fire. This one's absolutely foolproof. Oh, it sounds exciting, Al, honey. What is it? It's a special television set for watching horse races. But, Al, you can do that with any television set. I know, but this one fixes the race. <laughs> hey, Jane, do you think Richard might be interested in investing in the idea? Jane, didn't you hear me? Al, uh, don't mention his name. You see, Jane and Richard are not S-P-E... E-C... 
Now, how do you spell speaking? <laughs> hey, Jane, is this on the level? That's right, Al. What is it, his folks? No, a redhead. Why, the big stiff, doing that to you, Janie. Oh, well, what's the difference? Al, if you'll excuse me, I'm going into the bedroom and write my letter of resignation. <clears throat> Poor, frustrated kid. You see, chicken, how lucky you are with a guy like me. You'll never catch me running around with other dames. I got my philosophy about that. What is it, Al? All dames are the same. To me, they're like pinball machines. No matter how fancy they are, no matter how much they seem to light up and glow in the dark, you'll never get your money out of them. Well, Al, is that the way you feel about me? Oh, no, chicken. With you, it's different. You're already tilted. Well, I've, I've scribbled a note to Richard. Well, can we hear it, Jane? After all, Al and I are your best friends. We might be able to help you. Well, that's sweet of your kids. It's, it's wonderful to have friends. Well, here it is. Mr. Richard Rhinelander. Dear Sir. Gee, that's nice and cold. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Sir, I have been in your employ for the past two years and feel I have discharged my duties rather efficiently. It wasn't entirely my fault that our business association grew into a more personal relationship. And certainly nothing I have done could justify your behavior of the past 48 hours. To wit, one redhead. <laughs> By your actions, I have recognized you for what you really are, an unmitigated, uncouth, unprincipled... You left out un-American. <laughs> ...unscrupulous Lothario. How's that? Oh, good, Jane. And you can tell him for all we care he can go back to Lothario where he came from. Chicken, Lothario ain't a country. You're thinking of Rouet, a province in France. <laughs> oh, Al, please. I accordingly resign my position. I never... I... I never want to see you again. Sincerely yours... Jane states. Oh, gee, Jane, you must love him. Don't be silly. I hate him. <laughs> well, may all turn out for the best. You're, you're too nice a dame to worry about that guy. Come on, kids. I'll treat you both to soda. No, thanks, Al. You, you two run along without me. I'm going to stay here and read the want ads. Here, Irma, you drop the letter in the mailbox. I want Richard to get it the first thing in the morning. All right, Jane. Uh, put on your rubbers, chicken. Is it raining? No, but might want to take you into a movie and them fire escapes are slippery. <laughs> See you, Jane. I've got the world on a string Sitting on a rainbow Come in. Hello, Jane. Richard, you... Oh, it's you, Mr. Rhinelander. Jane, I knew that you misunderstood me over the phone, and, well, that's why I rushed over here. I, I couldn't speak in front of Miss Benson. No explanations uh, are necessary, Richard, if that's what you can... Now, now, please, Jane, let me explain. Now, Miss Benson is the niece of a very important client that we're trying to land. Now, frankly, she bores me to death, but I have to encourage her in her work so she'll tell her uncle. And after that, we'll transfer her to the Boston office. Richard, you mean you... Oh, you did... Jane, how could you think that? Now, she's engaged, and you know what you mean to me. And here I've spent most of this afternoon fighting with Father to get you a $10 raise... For me? Oh, Richard. Uh, uh, Richard, 
Well, what's the matter? Uh, uh, you, you don't look well. Uh, why, why don't you take tomorrow morning off? I'll get the mail for I you. I never felt better in my life. Jane, what's wrong with you? Oh, uh, uh, nothing. Uh, Richard, uh, what does that sign in front of the post office say? Well, I don't know. Something about uh, neither rain nor snow nor fire shall prevent the mailman from doing his duty. Oh, for the days of the Pony Express. <laughs> Say, ladies, how would you like to be wrapped in mink from head to toe? Well, you can by winning in the $100,000 Lever Fur Contest. So hurry and enter. Maybe you'll be saying this. Hello. Hello, Grace. Have you heard about me? I won. I won. Hmm? Won what? Why, I won a $3,000 mink coat. Imagine. I can buy the coat wherever I want to. Or listen, I can have the money. Why, I can hardly believe it. A mink coat. Me. Yes, ladies, you may be a winner. Here are 1,645 prizes in all. 329 each week. Yes, each week, those are the prizes being awarded. One $3,000 mink coat. Three $1,000 fur coats. Five smart fur jackets worth $500. As well as many other valuable furs and prizes of cash. Here's all you do. In 25 words or less, tell why you like any one of these Lever products. Swan Soap, Lux Flakes, Lux Toilet Soap, Life Boy, Rinso, or Spry. And close a wrapper or box top from one of those six Lever products. Enter as often as you wish each week. First contest closes Sunday night, February 8th. Entries received after that date will be entered in the following contest. Important. Be sure to get an entry blank from your dealer. It will give you all the information you need. Here's a hint. Sincerity counts. Use your own words. Print your name and address and the name and address of your dealer. He'll help you. Mail your entries to Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. That address again, Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. Well, this time, little Jane Stacy really pulled off a butte. Richard has turned out to be the swellest guy that ever lived, and I, like a fool, had to write him a letter calling him more names than there are in the vocabulary of a sailor's parrot. <laughs> oh, if he ever gets that letter. Well, that's the end, that's all. I'm going out of my mind, thinking of ways to get it back before he reads it. Irma. What, Jane? How am I going to keep that letter from Richard? Well, it's simple. What do you mean? Well, why don't you elope with him tonight? Then tomorrow you'll have the right to open his mail. Oh. <laughs> Irma, be sensible. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You've given me an idea. I won't open his mail. I'll just get to the office at 7 in the morning and get the letter from the mailing room before it's distributed. Well, how will you get up so early? By going to bed right now. Irma, you put that book down. Turn out the lights. Come on. Oh, but this book is so interesting. It's all about dreams. Dreams? Yes, it explains them. You have no idea what goes on in a person's mind when they're unconscious. <laughs> I have a rough idea. Of course, I don't believe at all. This book says if a girl puts a piece of wedding cake under a pillow and dreams, she'll soon get married. Well, honey, why don't you try it? I have, but I get hungry in the middle of the night and I eat up my future. Well, come on, sweetie, put the book down. Now, you know you get nightmares when you read in bed. Like the other night, you woke up screaming that you were cold. 
You wanted someone to stop the horse. <laughs> oh, yes, I'll never read Lady Godiva again. <laughs> now, come on, sweetie, turn out the lights. This is one night that I must not oversleep. All right, Jane, uh, just give me a moment to do my face. Uh, let's see. Oh, first the cold cream. Gee, this stuff is so chilly. <laughs> Why don't they make hot cold cream? <laughs> I'll tell them. Please hurry up, honey. Come on. All right. Uh, now cleansing cream. All-night cream. All-purpose cream. Beauty cream. Sour cream. <laughs> sour cream? Yes, I'm hungry. Oh. <laughs> come on, honey. Come to bed. Well, in a minute, Jane, it takes a while to get all this makeup off. Yeah, I know, honey, but I've seen him get the barnacles off a battleship in less time. <laughs> well, now I'm finished. Now I just want to fix these curlers in my hair. All right. Irma, I'm sure you can do that faster. Every curl doesn't have to spell Al. <laughs> well, I like to keep him on my mind. Well, here goes the light. Good night, Jane. Good night, honey. Do you mind if I open the window? Oh, no, no, leave, leave it closed, Irma. It's raining. But I can't sleep with the window closed. Well, try for my sake, huh? All right. Good night. Good night, honey. Jane. Jane. Gee, she must have been tired of sleep already. Now I can open the window. <laughs> Oh, Richard. Richard, isn't Niagara Falls beautiful? <laughs> I can feel the spray in my face. <clears throat> Irma. Irma, the window's open. I'm getting soaked. Oh, I'm sorry, Jamie. I, I didn't think it would come in. I'll close it. Oh, honey, please, will you go to sleep? I must be at the office at 7. All right, Jane. Good night. Good night. Oh, Jane... What now, Irma? My foot itches. <laughs> well, scratch it. I can't. It's on your side of the bed. <laughs> You're closer. All right. Where? There. Okay? Thank you. Good night, Irma. Good night, Jane. Jane. <laughs> oh, Jane. Hmm? What is it? Are you awake? No. Oh. Are you sure? Absolutely. But you spoke to me. I talk in my sleep. <laughs> oh, Irma, darling, what's wrong now? I can't sleep. Well, try counting sheep. All right. One, two, three, five, six, eight, nine... Eleven, twelve. What happened to four, seven, and ten? Those are black sheep, and I can't see them in the dark. <laughs> Irma, honestly, if you don't let me sleep, I will scream. Oh, no, you'll wake everybody up. Good night, Irma. Good night, Jane. Honey, Irma, get off your knees and stop pleading. Oh, now I've really got trouble. She's talking in her sleep. 
How dare you try to kiss me? I'm engaged to Al, so you had better go, go. Do you hear me, Van Johnson? <laughs> oh, Mother. Irma, Irma, honey, get up. Get up. Irma. Huh? Oh, Jen, I had the most terrible nightmare. I didn't know what I was doing. You're telling me. <laughs> you sent Van Johnson away and asked for Al. And to me, that's like sending back steak and begging for horse meat. Gee, Jane, why do I get these nightmares? Well, honey, try, try sleeping on your back. Makes me snore. Oh. Well, try sleeping on your stomach. No, I might smother. But why don't you try sleepwalking and get out of here? I've got to get up early. Well, Jane, take my advice and go right to sleep. Oh, Mother. Oh, no. No, this is all a dream. Who is it? Girls, it's only me, Professor Kropotkin. Let me in, it's emergency. Oh, well, wait till we slip into robes, Professor. All right, uh, you can come in now. Girls, I hate to bother you, but maybe you got some pots and pans. <laughs> you cooking now? Who's cooking? It's raining and the water is coming through the roof. Well, did you tell Mrs. O'Reilly? Don't be silly. She'll charge me for swimming privileges. <laughs> Professor, please, please ask Mrs. O'Reilly or ask the Martins or ask anybody, but I've got to get some sleep. Good night. All right. All right, Jenny. Don't get excited. I'll tread water tonight. <laughs> oh, Irma, it's past midnight. I'm just getting panicky. If I'm not in that office by seven, my world is ended. Irma Peterson, if you have any love for me at all, please go to sleep. All right. Gee, I guess I, I shouldn't have read that book about dreams. Oh, please turn out the light and get in bed or I will... Shh, shh. Say we're not in. Okay. We're not in. Chicken, it's me, Yeah. Oh, what is this? Grand Central Station? Wait till we get our robes on, Al. We're not decent. Jane, don't have an inferiority complex. We're just as nice as anyone. <laughs> okay, Al. Come on in. Stay a week or two. Didn't mean to barge in on you. Just left the boys and saw you like... Hey, chicken, this is the first time i ever seen you with all the junk on your face that dames use when they go to bed. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting? If you put a cherry on your nose, you could pass for an ice cream sundae. <laughs> Look, Al, it's not that I'm an unfriendly person. I like company as much as the next girl, but not at 1.30 in the morning. Get it, Al? What are you so nervous about, Janie? Oh, Al, Richard and I patched up our quarrel, and there happens to be a letter in the mail in which I call him everything in the world, and I must stop that letter. Say, Irma, the kid's got right. Recognize your predicament, Jane. Must stop that letter. Well, how, Al? Only one man who can help us. Who, Al? Who else but... Hello, Joe. Al, got a problem. Joe, who do you know at the post office? Oh, all them guys whose pictures are on the walls. <laughs> no, no, Joe, we're, we're, we're trying to stop a letter that's been mailed. How do I do it? Uh-huh. 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 Mm-hmm. You do not wish to tamper with the government because most of your family is with the government. Well, where, Joe? On an island in the Pacific? What island, Joe? Oh, Alcatraz. <laughs> Understand your point, Joe, and respect your desire not to travel. Good night, Joe. 
Looks like you're in a tough spot, Janie. Well, look, Al, thanks for trying, but if you'll just let me get some sleep, I'll stop that letter myself in the morning. Okay, Jane. Good night, chicken. Al, I, I know my face is all covered with cold cream, but would you like to just peck me on the cheek? Can't take a chance, chicken. Might slip and bite off your nose. <laughs> Good night and pleasant dreams, chicken. Good night, Al, honey. Jane. Let's just sit here, sit here and talk about Al. Oh, Irma, will you turn out the lights? My goodness, it's almost two and I should get up at six. How will I get eight hours sleep in four hours? Well, you can drag it out. Sleep slow. Oh. <laughs> Irma, for the last time, if you make one more sound until I tell you, so help me, I don't know what I'll do. You have my promise. Good night. <laughs> Oh, Irma. Irma, the telephone. Yes, it's ringing. Well, answer it. It's on your side of the bed. Oh, all right, all right, I'll get it. Hello? What? Richard? Oh, my goodness, what time is it? <gasps> Irma, it's noon. I know. Why didn't you wake me? You told me not to make a sound until I heard from you. Oh. <laughs> Oh, uh, Richard, Richard, there, there's something I must tell you. you. You see the letter, Richard. I mean, I, I, I... Excuse me a minute, Richard. Oh, Irma, he knows, he knows. Oh, Jane, you're crying. Here, I have some Kleenex in my purse. Oh, Jane, look. What? You're going to hate me. Why? I forgot to mail the letter. Oh, what? Oh, bless you. Oh, hello, Richard. Oh, and it's nothing, Richard. No, nothing happened. I just overslept. <laughs> Crying? Well, that's ridiculous. Of course, I think the world of you. I always have thought the world of you. I never thought anything different. I'll be right down, Richard. Oh, Irma, you are a darling Irma. Jane, you kiss me. And I'll do it again. All right, uh, but don't tell Al. He's so jealous. <laughs> Ladies, make your bath a real pleasure and a beauty bath at the same time with white floating swan soap. You can because Swan's exclusive super creamed blend gives you a wonderful new kind of beauty lather for your bath. Rich, creamy lather that cleanses gently, then rinses away so completely your skin is left fresh, smooth, lovely as ever. Yes, it's the perfect bath soap. Super creamed Swan Soap. <laughs> My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lieber Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Frank Bingman speaking. Sprite. Cakes are light and high. Sprite. There's a reason why. Sprite. Cakes improve with Sprite. Rely on Sprite. You bet there's a reason why Spry is the cake-making wonder. Spry has an amazing cake improver secret. Try the sure spry one bowl way and be certain of lighter, finer, richer cakes every time. No other type of shortening has spry's cake improver secret. For new cake-making success, rely on spry. Pure all-vegetable spry with cake improver. Rely on spry. S-P-R-Y. Tune in next week one hour earlier and listen to the Lux Radio Theater immediately followed by my friend Irma. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Howdy, everybody. Here we are, all ready to take you down to Pine Ridge for another visit with Lum and Abner, brought to you by the makers of Horlicks, the original malted milk. Before we go down to Pine Ridge, I want to tell you about an experience a friend of mine had recently, one that a lot of us are already familiar with. Well, this friend went out to buy a package of Horlicks malted milk. The clerk told her that he had Horlicks, but he urged her to buy something that he said was just as good and cheaper in price. Well, my friend bought that cheaper substitute. She couldn't resist what she thought was a bargain. But one glass was all she drank. She found it just couldn't compare with Horlicks. What did she do? She took that cheap substitute back to the store and got a package of Horlicks instead. You won't catch me accepting a substitute again, she says now. Well, I guess we all make mistakes once in a while. But if we're not on guard against them, well, that's why we urge you to ask for and get Horlicks. You can get it at your druggist in either natural or chocolate flavor. And now, let's see what's happening down in Pine Ridge. Lum and Abner are now traveling with their circus. They had a very successful Saturday and Sunday at Charleston. And today, we find them in the little city of Mount Ida. As we look in on the old fellows today, Lum is spending most of his time with Zenora, the bareback rider, with whom he has become very fascinated. Abner and Cedric Weehunt are sitting in the circus wagon, which they are using for office and headquarters of the circus. Listen. Oh, it's the disgustingest thing I ever seen. He's got old um so crazy about it, he don't know his right name right now. Yes, Mom. I, I thought Mr. Lum was, was in love with Miss Evelina Schultz, the school teacher over at Pine Ridge. Oh, he don't know who he is in love with, Cedric. I know him and her have been keeping company pretty steady. Yeah, yeah, I know they have. But this bareback rider just swept him clean off on his feet. He'll do anything that she tells him to, regardless of what it is. She's got him looking after the horses for her now. She has. <laughs> he spent about half his time around there curry combing them and brushing them and all that, plaiting their tails and mane and all those things like that. And I wish we'd get shut of the Noah and them horses. That's what I wish. Maybe Lom would spend a little time looking after the circus then. Well, who's supposed to be the main boss around here anyway? You or Mr. Lum or Squaw? Well, Lum's supposed to be, but he ain't looking after things like he ought to. No. You know, he told Denora that he owned the circus by himself. That's what he told her. Yes, uh, he told me to tell her that, too. Makes me such dad blame mad I can't hardly stand myself. Every time I get around him and her, why, he starts to give me orders. It's to show out in front of her. That's the only reason he does. Yes, and me, too. Had me in that Saturday selling peanuts there in our main tent. <laughs> and me a half-owner in the circus, too. Here comes Squire now. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, he's disgusted with Lom, too. I think I better get out there and start carrying some more water for them elephants. They can drink more water than anybody I ever seen. Howdy, Mr. Squire. Hello, oh, yeah. Cedric. Uh, where about it, Abner? He's on the inside the wagon, man. Yeah, come on in, Squire. Oh, well, I, I couldn't see you in there, Abner. I've been looking for you. I want to have a little talk with you. Yeah, well, just sit down and make yourself at home. Uh, make yourself comfortable, Squire. Uh, where about your lung? Well, I don't know for sure, but I just might not bet that he's with Zenora wherever she's at. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it looks like that Zenora is taking up my now lung time. Oh, that's all he talks about. Zenora this and Zenora that. I'm so tired of hearing it. I, I, I wish I was these. Well, now, here it is, Abner. It's my time to open up the box office, start selling tickets, and nobody's out there to sell them. 
Well, I'll go find him in a minute and send him around there. Abner, I don't like to complain about the way things is going, but now, if Lum's going to manage a show, I do wish that he'd attend to it. That's the reason that I wanted you and him to travel with the show, was uh, so you could take part of the responsibilities off of me. But the way things are now, uh, Lum's no help at all. He's got that bareback rider on his mind. Uh, does it look like we're going to have much of a crowd this afternoon? Oh, yes, yes, yes. a big crowd around there. All to do well here now and now. All to do awful well. If we can just get Lum to pay attention to business. Why, you fellas stand a chance to make some money with this show, Abner, just to show the world. We done a good business here at Belleville, and yesterday and the day before there at Charleston was both good days, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing a big business now. If we could just get any money ahead, well, we'd be all right. Well, uh, of course, I'm not handling that end of it now, Abner. I don't know how you're coming out, but you ought to be clearing some money, though. Well, I'm spending it as fast as it comes in. Like them new poster that he got out. Yes, well, I, I believe that he made a mistake there. He's given to Nora and her bareback riding act top billing over all the other acts. The wild animal acts and the elephant act ought to be featured in a building, you know. That'll get more people than anything. Well, she more likely put him up to that herself. That picture of her standing there on the back of a horse. He never said, but I, I know in reading it, that costs a side of money to get them things printed up or, or drawn or whatever it is they do to them. Oh, yes, yes. Those things cost money, Abner. They sure do. And I never seen no reason for him having his picture put on them poster, neither. He ain't no attraction that I know of. Well, I believe now, uh, yeah, uh, there comes Lum now, Abner. Oh, he'd do anything she'd tell him to. Makes me so dead blame mad I can't hardly stand it at all. Yes, I know, Abner. I sympathize with you on it. But, you know, a man in love like Lum, why, there just ain't no arguing with him at all. Well, gentlemen, gentlemen. You're supposed to be out front there selling tickets, Mom. Why, it ain't time. Well, I'll swan too, good. <laughs> the time just flies by, it looks like. Yes, uh, there's a big crowd around there waiting to get in the tent, Mom. Well, sir, I'm glad I found you fellas together. I've got a great idea I want to talk over with you. Yeah, some other way of spending some money, I reckon. Well, it'll cost a little something, but it'll be worth it. Uh, what's that, Mom? Uh, what have we got in mind? Well, I was just back there thinking to myself while ago, sort of talking with uh, Genora. Oh, you know them uh, horses Genora rides. Goodness sake, I figured it'd be something about her. That's now, not... wait a minute. You ain't heard what I got to say yet. It's got to where I can't mention her name without you getting mad about it. Well, that's all you talk about, Lum, is Zenora. Zenora. The trouble with you is you just don't know her, Abner. Don't know what a fine little woman she is. Well, uh, what is she started to tell about, Lum? Oh, yeah. yeah Why... Well, you know, Zenori knows the show business. Have you yeah. ever just sat right down and talked to her just right straight from the shoulder? Well, I know she's old-timer in the game, Mom. She's been in this business a long time, yes. Well, I wouldn't say a long time. You know, she ain't but 18 years old. Well, she I... told me that herself. <laughs> well, that's uh, to be seen, Mom. I don't know. You know, they never do run their age up as high as it ought to be. But uh, she ain't no spring chicken, I'll tell you that. Oh, she's Aww. pretty. Prettiest yeah. little thing i ever seen in my life. Yeah, but she'll never see 18 again, neither. Don't never let her fool you on that. Well, that ain't what I started to tell you about. Uh, what I want to talk to you fellas about is some new harness for them horses. A uh, new harness? Yeah. What's the matter with the harness they got? Well, of course, it's getting kind of old, Abner. I was uh, talking to her, and she sort of 
sighted in with me on it. It'd be a good idea to get some silver harness for them horses. Some silver harness? Yeah, with jewels in it. Oh, Diamonds and stuff like that. Well, uh, Lum, now, the only time that uh, she uses any hornets to speak of is in the parade, you know. And That's I... what I say. Now, just think how nice that look in the parade. Well, yes, it, it looks nice, Lum, but now you get to buying that hornet like that and putting uh, jewels in it. Now, that runs up into a lot of money. Well, I just allow as long as we're going to put up them big electric signs over the tent and all about, Wanna you know. Want to put up what? Oh, that's right. I ain't told you about that, Al. Oh, I reckon well, Me and her's going to rig up some big electric signs to put up over the tent. Uh, what uh, what kind of sign, Lum? Oh, Zenora, the bareback rider, and stuff like that. Well, now, Lum, now, just a minute, now. Uh, uh, it seems to me like that you're spending too much of time building Zenora, now. Uh, them elephants and that uh, lion act there, that'll get more people into the circus tent than the bareback riding act will. Well, now, that ain't what Zenora told me. Well, I don't care what she told you. That's why I just write about it. Well, now, we're going to have the signs in the harness, and I don't want no argument about it. I'm just telling you what we're going to do. Well, uh, of course Stay not. out of here, Cedric. This ain't no place for you. This is a circus going with you and Abner, but uh, if I was you now, Lum, I wouldn't be spending my money here as fast to take it in because there's going to be times when you have bad weeks and uh, you need some money to tide you over, you know. you got to think about that. I've been studying about that. Well, Lum, let's talk about that some other time. If you're going to open up the ticket office, why, well, you better get started. Everybody be leaving, going back home on you. Yeah, yeah, you better get around there, Lum. I'll go along with you and start ballahooing. Well, I've got to get the money out of the seat here to make change with. Well, you don't need no change, do you? Can't you make change with what you take in? Mm, supposing somebody pulls a $5 bill on me right the first, then what am I going to do? Yeah, that's right. I never thought about that. Yeah, you ought to have a little change in the drawer to start out with, Lum. Zane, that just reminds me, too. I aim to make a deposit this morning at the bank. Take the money in there and took in Saturday and Sunday over Charleston. Yeah, they oughtn't to leave too much cash around this wagon this way, Lum. We'll all get stuck up sometime. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, all he thinks about the North. I he never can recollect that combination. Put the dial on North and turn it to the right, clean over to 70, and then back to 20. Yeah, back to 20. And uh, then to the right to 45, Lum, and then back to 70 again. Yeah, that ought to open it. Forty-five and back to seventy. Yes, yes, there. Yeah, I'll just take about twenty dollars in change. Man, I still don't believe you need none, anyway. Let's see, I put that in the shoe box. Later, well, what's the matter, Lum? Hey, Granny, did, did one of you fellas take that money out of here? Now, don't be looking at me, Lum. I'll never take it. It's gone. We've been robbed, men. We've been robbed. Huh? We're the only ones that knows the combination on this safe. Somebody opened it up and took that money out of here. I know for... Mm, this looks like an inside job, all right. But who took the money? Ladies and gentlemen, before our time's up, let's slip over to the Haskin home. I think it's breakfast time. Oh, Jack! Yes, that's Mary calling to her husband now. Listen. Oh, Jack, breakfast! Go ahead, Mary. I don't want much. You don't want much? Why? What's the matter? Oh, I didn't sleep again. Well, I can believe that. You look terrible. Yeah, good. I feel terrible. What supper you ate? Supper, my eye. I haven't slept for weeks. Well, it must be something. I guess it's me. I just have to put up with it. And grouch at me? Not if I can help it. Well, what do you suggest? A month's vacation? Now, don't get silly. No, I've got an idea. Mm. You know what Lom and Abner say? What? Well, they say, or rather, Carlton Brickett, their announcer, says, that a glass of Horlick's malted milk, hot, just before going to bed. Helps you get to sleep much quicker. And helps you sleep more soundly? Sure, I've heard him say that. Well, that's the solution. You mean... That's it. You're going to have a glass of Horlicks tonight. 
just before you go to bed. You know, that sounds like a good idea to me. I'm going to take you up on it. Bring home a package when you're out today. And it is a good idea, too, for sound, restful sleep. A glass full of Horlicks, hot, just before going to bed. Can't be beaten. Get a package of Horlicks. You'll find scores of other uses for it. This is Carlton Bricker, speaking for Lum and Abner and Horlicks. We now bid you all good night and good health. Ladies and gentlemen, next week, Thursday, August 24th, Dragnet will be heard one hour earlier at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to Juvenile Bureau. A vicious case of wanton and willful destruction of private property occurs in your city. Suspicion points to a juvenile. Your job, find him. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke extra mild Fatima. Yes, Fatima is the king-size cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. To give Fatima a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all, long cigarettes. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, 
You will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, April 10th. It was cool in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of Juvenile Bureau. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Inspector Bowling. My name's Friday. It was 9.35 a.m. when we got to 1335 Georgia Street, captain's office. I won't ask you to sit down. We're not going to be here that long. You sound mad. Get your hats. Right with you. Where's your car? Right out front. All right. What's up? A rotten mess. We got in the car and drove south in Figueroa till we got to West 103rd Street. According to Inspector Bowling's directions, we turned right and went about four miles. He directed us to pull up in front of a one-story frame residence that had been converted into small business offices. On the right side, going in, was a neighborhood jeweler's shop. We could see him working in the window. Over the door of the office on the left was a lawyer shingle. The gold lettering was new. It's this way. Lawyer's office. That's right. Name's Paul Wilson. It's me, Miss Wilson. Oh, come in, Inspector Bowling. Mr. Wilson, this is Sergeant Friday. Romero, juvenile detail. I'm assigning him in this case. How do you, Sergeant? Oh, hey. Sergeant. All right, look at it. Just look at it. Look at that, Joe. Yeah. Paint. It's all over everything. Look at that leather chair. It's ruined. The desk smeared with the stuff. Green paint. Yeah. Looks like they threw it on the mop and rug soaked with it, the walls. Look, Joe. They even got the clock. Yeah. Take a good look. Remember it when you tag whoever did it. These your law books, Mr. Wilson? Yes, sir. I didn't have to do this. Poured paint all over Yes, sir. When did all this happen? Sometime last night. Found it this way when I came in this morning. Any idea who did it? That's why he called us. We're going to find out. I don't know who'd want to do a thing like this. Just opened my office three days ago. Just hung out my shingle. You just started practicing laws then? Yes, sir. Graduated from Loyola University Extension Division. Been looking for office space for a long time. Was anything taken? No. It's such a dirty, rotten thing to pull. Undoubtedly a kid. That's pretty vicious for a kid. Can you think of any enemies that you might have had, Miss Wilson? No, sir. No one would do a thing like this. I can't understand it. There's no reason for it that I can think of. Crime report shows they got in the back door. Is that right, Mr. Wilson? Well, can you come back here? I'll show you. Okay. Come back. Yeah, here it is, right here. See, this used to be the kitchen when this was a flat. I was going to put a hot plate in here for coffee. Nice. Oh, yes. You can see where they cut through the screen door. It's all right. It's been checked. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Any pass key would fit the inside door here. Yes, sir, that's right. You can follow the trail of that green paint right from this door all the way through the house. Yeah. I don't know how I'll ever get it all off. You know of any cleaners that handle things like this? We're not allowed to recommend anybody, Mr. Wilson. If you have somebody in mind, we'd be happy to call them for you. Thank you. I'd appreciate it. I was going to make some calls, but I haven't got my phone installed yet. Estimated damage about $1,800. Is that right? That's what I figure, yes. My law books are over $600 alone. Borrowed the money from the bank for the furniture. You haven't noticed any kids in the neighborhood, none of them around while you were moving in? No, I didn't see any. I moved everything in myself, rented a trailer... Made several trips to get it all over here. Guess that was a silly thing to do. Why? 
Well, the store where I bought the furniture said they'd deliver it, but I couldn't wait to see everything in first office, you know. Yeah, we understand. Well, like I said, I made several trips with the trailer, and I didn't lock the office each time I left. Didn't figure it was necessary. The fellow across the hall with jeweler said he'd keep an eye on things for me. But you did lock up last night, didn't you? Oh, yes. As soon as I was moved in, I locked the place at all times when I wasn't here. That's it. We'll get right on it. I don't have to tell you again. I want a fast answer. Where do we start? With an empty paint can. Before we left attorney Paul Wilson, we took a sample scraping of the green paint to serve as a color check. We started to canvas the neighborhood door to door. We covered the area for a radius of six blocks, questioning the residents and checking out the youngsters. We failed to come up with anything. We figured another good angle was to try the schools in the area. We checked on the students who had been in any kind of trouble involving malicious pranks. We had the principals line their students up. We looked them all over thoroughly for any evidences of paint of any kind on their person or on their clothing. The few leads we found led nowhere. After a week without success, we went back and rechecked the neighborhood, the paint stores, to see if anyone had bought any green paint, anyone they might have forgotten to tell us about the first time through. No leads. Monday, April 18th, Ben and I stopped for a Coke at a hot dog stand in the corner of 103rd and Oakview Avenue. A couple of Cokes, please. You want to help yourself, sir? Yeah, okay. Here's one. I don't see any more. There's one lying on the side. No, no, over there by the grape. Oh, yeah. Let me get it for you. Oh, thanks. Here you are. Good. Every time I think of that boy's office, it makes me sick. Well, if we could... If we could just get some kind of a lead. Anything for a start. Pardon me. I'd be satisfied. There's nothing to work on. It's like stabbing in the dark. Joe. Yeah? Look down the street there. Hmm? This is tin can day. Everybody's got them set out in front of the houses. It's worth a try, isn't it? Let's try a place across the street and then work down the block. All right. I had a cousin move down from San Francisco. It took him almost a year to get used to this tin can system here in L.A. Is that so? Yeah, up there they throw everything into one garbage can. Tin cans and all. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, sure. Tad's my cousin. Never could get used to putting the cans out. Backyard was full of them before his wife reminded him to put them out. Yeah. Garbage kind of piled up, too. They wouldn't pick it up with the tin cans in it. Yeah. You want to check these here? Yeah, get all right. This bunch here. Okay. Don't see any paint can. No, none here either. How about those down there? Okay. Let's go. I'll get this box. Wonder if this is any good. What's that? Prune juice. See a lot of empty bottles. Any paint can? No. Let's go. That's the way it went, block after block, house after house. We covered five blocks, checking the containers full of empty tin cans. Found a few paint cans, none of them the right color, or any combinations that would go together to make the right color. It was a tiring job, but we figured it was at least a place to start. Sure, a lot of cans here. There must be a new bride, huh? I don't know. 
You find anything? No, not yet. How about this? Huh? This one. One gallon can. Green. Must ask. Police officers, ma'am. This empty paint can belong to you. You can have it if you want. We threw it out. Uh, do you have any children here, ma'am? Yes, a boy. How old is he? One year. Would you mind telling us what this paint was used for? We just moved here. Is there any law about throwing out paint cans? Oh, no, ma'am. We're investigating a case. Just like to know what the paint was used for. Did old man Boone send you over? I beg your pardon? Mr. Boone, the man we rented this house from? No, ma'am. I thought maybe it was him. You said we couldn't do any painting inside. We don't know anything about that. You sure? I don't trust him. No, ma'am. You say the paint was used to redecorate? Yes, come in. I'll show you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> in here. See? Yeah. Carlos did. My husband. I told him he should have waited till Sunday. Mm-hmm. Whose idea was it to paint the bathtub? Carlos. He's going to night school learning English. The teacher told him the best way to learn was to speak it around the house. Yes. It's better for the little one, too. Well, anyway, Carlos gets paid on Saturday night. Then he stops at the little place where the fellas he works with and has a little drink. He gets his paycheck cash there. Uh-huh. When he came home, he said he was going to paint the bathroom for me. I guess he felt a little good. I was in the kitchen, and I yelled to him to paint around the top. Around the top, I said. Yeah. Like I said, he doesn't know English too good yet. We have a green top. I see. Well, thank you. He's going to clean the top next Saturday. We use the shower. Painted that too, didn't he? Well, thank you very much, ma'am. We're sorry to have disturbed you. Well, that's all right. I'm worried about next Saturday night. Why is that? There's no telling what he's going to do with that paint remover. Four thirty p.m. We were no closer to finding out who spread that paint around a turn of the attorney's office than when we started. We continued checking the neighborhood, but we found nothing. A few minutes before five, we got a call to check back in with Inspector Bowling. You doing any good out there? Nothing at all. We had a little action, a new one. Yeah, what's that? Came in about an hour ago. Somebody poured kerosene on three palm trees and set them on fire. Three trees, three different blocks. Yeah. Kept the fire department busy. Tied up the traffic for several hours. I've sent additional juvenile cars out there to cover. Happened in the same general area as the paint job. Mm, Any leads? No. Anyone who will smear paint over an office might set a palm tree on fire. Same type of gag, malicious mischief. Think there's a connection between the two? Well, it's anybody's guess. Paint routine's a new one, so is the palm trees. They're both one-time-only shots. Maybe the two connect somewhere along the line. Well, maybe. Well, it's got us stopped. We can't even find a place to begin. We've tried everything we know. Starting again tomorrow. That isn't going to make that young lawyer feel any better. Yep. Who? Will you take him down to the detention room? He does, huh? All right, I'll see him. Yeah, right now. 16-year-old boy out there says he's got to see me. Would you like to talk to him alone? No, it's all right. You stay. Come in. You're the chief? My name is Bowling, Juvenile Bureau, yeah. Could I talk to you alone? Well, these officers work with me. Can you talk in front of them, son? I guess so. Well, come on over here. 
You want to sit down, son? I'd rather stand if it's okay. All right, what's on your mind? I want to confess. What do you want to confess, son? I murdered somebody. You are listening to Dragnet, actual case histories taken from official police files. If you smoke a long cigarette, it will be in your interest to listen to these case histories taken from the file marked Fatima. On this card, reporter Lee Silver's statement. I need an extra mild cigarette. No other long cigarette I've tried is as mild as Fatima. Here is Nurse Shirley Gelman's statement. When I go off duty, I appreciate a mild cigarette. Fatimas are extra mild. I can enjoy them more. On this card, the statement by drama critic Richard Watts, Jr. Anyone can tell Fatima contains the finest tobaccos. It's extra mild, has a much better flavor. All agree it's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. And that's what more and more smokers are discovering every day. Yes, actual figures show extra mild Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. You'll agree. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Best of all, long cigarettes. Next week, Thursday, August 24th, Dragnet will be heard one hour earlier at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. Six p.m. Monday, April 18th. The boy identified himself as Arnold Waterman. Gave his age as 16. He told us that two days before, at 98th Street and 2nd Avenue, he'd shot a man to death and hidden his body in the basement of a house. He was taken to the interrogation room where a police stenographer took his statement. Inspector Bowling sent Ben and I out to check his story. 9.30 p.m., we drove back to Georgia Street Juvenile and went to the interrogation room. Arnold? Yes, sir? Well, these two men have been out at 98th Street and 2nd Avenue checking your story. Did you find the body? No, there's no body out there. There should be. I put it in the cellar. There's no house out there. It's a vacant lot. We checked all the houses near there. You sure you killed somebody? Of course I'm sure. I stole a gun. I shot him three times in the back. What'd you do with the gun? I threw it in Westlake Park. Where? In the water. I rented a boat and rowed out to the middle. That's where I threw it in. Why did you kill the man? I don't know. I didn't like him. Now look, boy, you didn't kill anybody. There's nothing to back up your story. There's not an ounce of truth in it. How do you know you haven't found a body? Just wait. You'll find him, then you'll see. I killed him, all right. Will you show us where you hid the body? Why should I? I told you, you can find it. These men have gone over that entire area thoroughly. There's nobody out there, and you know it. You cops are funny. When somebody won't admit a murder, you keep asking questions until they do. I'm telling you I murdered somebody, and you keep trying to talk me out of it. If we can find one shred of proof, we might go along with you. You can't be convicted without proof. How much do you need? You got my confession. I offered to sign it. They wouldn't let me. What more do you need? We need a victim, Arnold. If you knew where to look, you could find it. We've looked every place you told us to. You're lying to us, huh? Why? I never liked the old man. I hated his wife. I killed her, too. I wasn't going to tell you that. Where do you go to school? I quit school to sell papers. I had to support my mother. Where's your father? I don't know. My mother wouldn't tell me. That's where I met the old man I killed, selling papers. He was my boss. None of us liked him. Nobody had the nerve to do it but me. The rest of the guys were scared, but not me. What was the old man's name? I can't think of it right now. He was your boss. He never told us his name. We just worked for him. Where'd you sell papers? I don't remember. I had to sell papers. We were going hungry. I, 
Couldn't stand to see my mother starve. Couldn't your father work? I don't know where he is. I told you that. We tried to get on relief. They wouldn't let us. I made a lot of money selling papers. After a while, we didn't need relief anymore. I made $100 a week. Why are you lying to us, son? If you think I'm lying, why don't you let me go home? We have anything to hold you for. You can go home. Not until I have a trial. I already called a lawyer. He'll be over pretty soon. I've sent for your mother, Arnold. She'll come down and take you home. I didn't want her to know anything about this. I may have to go to the gas chamber. It'd make her feel bad. You shouldn't have called her. It's no use. Let's go back to the office. His mother ought to be there by now. All right. Romero, you want to stay with the boy? Right. You better go out and find that body. Come on, Joe. I killed that old man. You can't say I didn't. Boy's a pathological liar. Well, it looks that way. Probably an inferiority complex. And this is the way of making himself important. Well, we all know he didn't kill anybody, but I wonder if he's got something else in his mind, huh? How do you do? You're Mrs. Waterman? Yes. Inspector Bowling? Yes, ma'am. This is Sergeant Friday. How do you do, ma'am? How do you do? I have to excuse my appearance. I slept a little late today. We've got your boy down the hall. He's all right. Trying to get us to swallow a few tall stories. Yeah, he's like that. What did he tell you? Who tried to give us a story about killing somebody? Well, I'm not surprised. This isn't the first time. I'll never understand that kid. Has your boy ever been in an institution, Mrs. Waterman? No, he's not bad. He just likes to lie all the time. He's an awful liar. Went to his high school principal the other day, told him his father and I beat him, and we wouldn't give him any lunch money. Where is your husband? He has a newspaper concession on one of the railroad trains. How often is he home? Once a week, sometimes every two weeks. It's the only business he knows. Yes, ma'am. Maybe that's the reason the kid's the way he is. My mom always used to tell me a kid needs his father. Still, whenever my hubby's home, he always does the right thing. Arnold started telling these lies a long time ago. Ever since, when his father found out, he, he catches it. What do you mean? Good strapping. That's all a kid like him understands. His father knows how to handle him. Whenever he lies, he takes the strap to him. You think that's the best way to handle it? Don't you? Well, you know what you're doing, Mrs. Waterman. He's your son. But if you wouldn't mind a little advice, do you mind my telling you? No, not at all. Well, that boy needs care, and he needs it bad. A strap's not the answer. He needs attention, good supervision, and a lot of companionship. I'm not conducting a class in child psychology, but care for that boy of yours. Care for him before the state has to. It's just those stories of his. That's what's wrong with him. Came on the other night with the wildest tale I ever heard. Yes, ma'am. Said he threw green paint all over somebody's office. <laughs> Ben and I drove out to the Waterman home. We checked through the boy's belongings. His mother showed us his room. In his closet, we found a pair of corduroy trousers, a white T-shirt, and other articles of his clothing spattered with the same shade of green paint that had been found in the office and furnishings of attorney Paul Wilson. We asked Ms. Waterman where her son Arnold was on Sunday night, April 9th, the night that the office had been broken into and smeared with paint. She told us she didn't know, but that he came home that night with paint on his clothing. Ben and I went back to the office where we filed an application for a petition and detention, Section 700, Sub M, WIC, malicious mischief, one count. Two days later, in juvenile court, the calendar was called. Arnold Waterman's name was first on the list. The judge, the subject, and all those concerned in the case retired to the judge's private chambers. Ben and I, Arnold Waterman, and his mother. The subject was informed of his constitutional rights, and Judge Frank J. Smith read the findings of our investigation. Arnold... It alleges in this petition that on April 9th at approximately 8.30 p.m., you entered the office of Attorney Paul Wilson at 9218 West 103rd Street, where you willfully and without Mr. Wilson's permission did maliciously damage his office to the extent of approximately $1,800 by pouring paint over his rugs, furniture, books, and other articles in his offices. Is this true, Arnold? Yes, sir. 
Did you know Mr. Wilson? No. Arnold, I'd like to know why you did that. I felt like it. You'll have to give me a better answer than that, youngster. That's the best I can do. That's good enough, isn't it? No, it isn't good enough. We have a courtroom full of boys outside who probably want to be helped, and we're going to try to help them. We can't help you unless you want to be helped. You don't want to help me. You don't believe anything I tell you. Officer Friday. Yes, Your Honor. You and Officer Romero investigated this case from its inception? We did. As a result of your investigation, what's your opinion of this boy's truthfulness? Well, Your Honor, I think I can speak for Officer Romero here as well. In all our talks with the boy and our observations of him, it's our opinion, for what it's worth, that the boy's a pathological liar. Basically, he seems to have the makings of a good youngster. His environment's bad. Seems to have very little, if any, parental guidance. Tells lies, Your Honor. Lots of them. Well, that seems to be everyone's opinion. It's not mine. If you'd spend more time trying to find out if I'm lying instead of trying to put me on the spot, you'd earn your money. Your stories have been thoroughly investigated and double-checked by competent police officers. There is absolutely no basis of truth in anything you've said. I'm getting sick and tired of everybody calling me a liar. Do you hear me? Young man, sit down in that chair. We review a great many juvenile cases here in my private chambers, but that does not alter the fact that you are in a court of law. You will lower your voice, speak in a gentlemanly fashion, and tell the truth. Is that understood? Yes, sir. Mrs. Waterman, could you give this court any reason for your son's behavior? It's a mystery to me, Judge. Fred, that's his father. He can't understand it either. He's always lied. His father beats him for it, and I guess he'll always lie. That's all you can say in your son's behalf? What else is there to say he's a liar? Arnold, I'm going to ask you once more. Why did you smear paint all over Attorney Paul Wilson's office? I didn't like him. Why didn't you like him? I didn't like him, that's all. Tall, skinny, funny-looking guy. You mean you destroyed his property because you didn't like his looks? Something like that. He was cheap. I saw him moving in. He had a trailer. He was moving his own stuff in. Why didn't he hire a mover like everybody else? I don't like cheap people. You know anything about this man, Wilson? No. What business was it of yours, whether or not Mr. Wilson decided to move his own furniture? Do you know that he's a young man, not much older than you? He just graduated from law school, took a lot of time, took a lot of his money. Money that he earned to put himself through school. And you sit there, a mere sketch of a boy passing judgment on a fine young man like Paul Wilson. And boy, let me tell you something. I don't know if you're a God-fearing lad or not, but you'd better fall on your knees and ask forgiveness and hope that somebody hears you, that he hasn't lost patience with you. You better raise up those sights of yours, lad, and pray for forgiveness. I hope those tears mean something, Arnold. Now, do you have anything to say before I pass judgment on this case? Yes, sir, I have. I'd like to tell you about something else I did. There were some palm trees out there. I put kerosene on them and set them on fire. Oh, Friday. Would you know anything about this? Yes, Your Honor, that checks with the reports. Any property damage? No, Your Honor. Kept the fire department pretty busy, that's about all. I didn't kill anybody, I just made that up. Yes, we know, Arnold. Do you have anything else to add, Mrs. Waterman? No, I don't know what else you can do with a kid. I'm glad it's somebody else's problem. According to the findings of the probationary officers and the investigating officers and what I've heard and observed in these chambers, I have no alternative but to remove this boy from his present home and environment and place him in a foster home where he will receive closer supervision and the care that he requires. Does that meet with your approval, Mrs. Warman? It's fine with me, Judge. Fred and I can hardly make ends meet now, and it's a shame to waste what money we have on this kid. It's 
That's all I can do to squeeze out the new clothes I need. Then you approve this plan. I can't wait to tell Fred. Well, when you tell Fred, you can also tell him the taxpayers are not going to assume the burden of the mistakes that you and your husband lavished on this boy. What do you mean, Judge? The expense of placing the boy in this foster home comes to the amount of $35 a month. You and your husband will pay this sum. The law covers that. It's an awful lot of money. The payment will be due on the first day of each month. You will meet this requirement or I'll be held in contempt of court. I'm only sorry that's as far as the law goes. The laws of the state of California do not make the parents responsible for the torts of their children unless contributory negligence can be proven. In my eyes, it is contributory negligence on your part, but unfortunately, it cannot be proven. Any faults that this boy may have are yours. You as a parent are responsible. We did the best we could in raising the kid. Madam, you didn't raise him. Hearing you, Smith. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On April 18th, the hearing was held in the private chambers of Judge Frank J. Smith, Juvenile Court, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. You have just heard the results of that hearing. And now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. The working detective in the process of apprehending criminals devotes his full time and energy to the job. His alertness, intelligence, and a great amount of patience. So, with a cigarette... The makers of Fatima cigarettes employ these same qualities in blending the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos to make Fatima extra mild. Best of all, long cigarettes. Now, if you're a long cigarette smoker like I am, then buy Fatima. You'll find, as I have, that every pack is extra mild. Smoke Fatima. <laughs> Next week, Thursday, August 24th, Dragnet will be heard one hour earlier at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. Now hear Sarah's private caper. September 7th, it's Father Knows Best. On NBC. Now you can double your listening pleasure by subscribing to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. For only 99 cents a month, you gain access to more shows for your enjoyment. Subscribe now, and happy listening. Hello, Saxon, you receiving me? 
Loud and clear. How are you getting on? We're ready. Coordinates set. How about you? Yes, we're ready. Are you focused? Well, Roderick? Yes. Yes, I am. Computer on. How about you, Saxon? Come on, Chipper. Give me time. My fingers are frozen. You're holding things up. Oh, I never realised a place so hot in the day could be so cold at night. Ah, that's it, isn't it? Let me look. Yes, okay, Magnus. We're all set. Computer on. Five seconds from now. Correct. Four, three, two, one. How's that? Perfect. Call you in an hour or two. Right. I'll be frozen stiff by then. Can't we go back to the aircraft? So long as you're prepared to leave it every two minutes to check the telescope coordinates haven't drifted. Oh. If you didn't want to work out in the cold, you should have asked to stay with Magnus. Oh, no, I wanted to come. You're quite right. Out here in the desert is the best way to see the sky at night. You'll never get a more glorious view of it. Not from this planet. Oh, I'm sure. If we're going to study the asteroids close up, why don't we wait until we get up there instead of standing around in the cold down here? We need to know all we can about them from every point of view. Now, is the telescope still on course? Yes. Then switch in the scanner. Okay, done. Good. Should have a good set of pictures by morning. We're here all night, then. We have to take every advantage of the viewing conditions. Plot the position of every minor planet within view. Analyze its content. Surely the Space Research College has been doing that for years. Of course it has, but only from the Earth's surface. Oh, I see. We're going to have to do it out in space. With limited equipment and in unfavorable conditions. So the sooner we get used to it, the better. Saturn? Yes, Saturn. Something odd. Oh? Another body has appeared right alongside our object. Eh? Just came into view. Out of the way, Chipper. I don't see it. How long's it been there? About 30 seconds, growing brighter. Could be an asteroid with great eccentricity of orbit. Lovely, can you check its height? Doing it. How close to Ceres is it? It's... Stand by for a shock. What? The point of light is less than 20 miles high. It's nowhere near Ceres, just happens to be in the same line of sight. What's its speed? A couple of hundred, no more. Keep track of it. What about the scanning project? We'll resume that later. Height, about 5,000. It's still coming this way. Where is it now? It's about to pass overhead. It must be on fire. It's here. Space Force, an intergalactic adventure by Charles Chilton, starring Barry Foster, Nigel Stock, Nicky Henson, and Tony Osoba. Episode 1. The Return of the Sun God. Straight over it. What direction? Heading for you. You can expect to see it in an hour or so. What was it? I couldn't make up anything. I was nearly blinded. Me too. Must be a meteor of a colossal size. Call us when it comes your way. Of course. Keep recording, I'll give a description of what I see. Saxon! Look! That must be it, see it? Hello, Magnus, it's here. Receiving you. Estimated height, uh, thousand. Speed very fast and so bright I can't bear to look. Ah! It's passed over heading westward. What did it mean, you Whatever it is, it's going to make a damn big hole. Is it land? No, just passed over the horizon. Very low. Then you'll hear the explosion soon. 
It's gone. Funny, didn't hear it crash. Maybe it's still traveling. Couldn't have gone far. We'll take the aircraft and track it down. Report to you later. Right. Dismantle the telescope, Chipper. Just a minute. I can't see anything for all these coloured lights. Barry here. Commander Saxon Barry? Yes. This is police headquarters, Cairo. Ah, yes. Any news? I'm afraid not. Many reported seeing the object, but once it had crossed the river and headed out into the desert, it disappeared. Not quite. We were 200 miles west of the river and saw it plain as day. It passed right over our heads. Then that was the last sighting. It crossed the horizon and continued westward. Surely somebody in that area must have seen it. Nobody lives in that area. It's too barren. A camel couldn't live there. But an object as bright as that, somebody must have we seen... We have searched the area, Commander Berry. Official opinion is that the object was a large fireball. It must have evaporated before it reached the ground and left no trace. Nonsense. Commander A Barry... meteorite that size was bound to leave a trace of something. Scattered bits of stone, scorch marks, something. Nothing has been found. Well, then you haven't been thorough enough. I... Have... I know exactly the course it took. I shall organize a private search. Very well. If you find anything, we would need to be informed. If I find anything, you'll be the first to know. Thank you. Good day. Goodbye. Private search. We're due back in London in three days. Plenty of time, Magnus. But the authorities have recalled all their aircraft. We'll go on our own. If you say so. Just the two of us. Yes. You won't need a communications officer. Don't think so, Chipper. You and Lodric, uh, take some time off. Relax. See the sights. Yeah. What do you say, Lodric? I say yes. And I know exactly what. <laughs> the belly dancers. No. The pyramids. Oh. All cultured all of a sudden. I want to go inside. I didn't know you could. Oh, yes, Chipper. Organized tours of the inside of the Giza Pyramid go on all day. Well worth going, in my opinion. Well, what about it? Well, I'll come to the Pyramid today if you come into town with me tonight. That's what you want. You can take the small truck. Magnus and I'll see you back here. And don't make it late. We need you fit for takeoff next week. Don't worry. I'll call the airport. Tell them to get the aircraft ready. Tell them we'll be there within the hour. Good morning. Good morning. May I help? Uh, we'd like to go on a pyramid walk. I wondered if there were any tours of the Giza pyramids. Um, no. I am sorry. Tours for today and tomorrow are all booked up. What? Well, we're only here for two more days. Oh, sorry. How about you? Are you all booked up? Pardon? Well, wouldn't mind doing a little tour around you. I don't care if you're not a pyramid. Chipper, can't you offer us anything? Well, uh, drive to Sakura. You may go on the Step Pyramid Walk. What? But surely visitors aren't allowed inside the Step Pyramid. That is true, but you may be lucky. How? Very special tour. Few people. Much privilege. You mean we might go inside? If guide takes you, yes. Tell him I send you. What's your name, then? No, Fred. And, uh, when do you finish? Come on, Chipper. Thank you for your help. Uh, yeah. Everybody, keep those together. Keep your lights on all the time. Now, please, follow me. We begin by proceeding down the passage. Well. This is the bit you've been looking forward to. A tour inside a pyramid. I enjoyed the outside, didn't you? Oh, yes. 
I didn't expect it all to be rebuilt. I thought it would be a ruin. Oh, no, not these days. The policy of the Egyptian Department of Antiquities is to reconstruct everything. I, I couldn't quite understand about King um, Do, uh, Dozer. Joser. Uh, Joser. Uh, dashing around the Heb... What do you call it? Hebsed Court. What was he supposed to be doing? Proving his everlasting youthfulness and virility. He had to do it after reigning 30 years, and every few years after that. A kind of a jubilee ceremony. <laughs> I can think of better ways to prove my virility. <laughs> oh, don't let slag behind. We'll miss all the interesting bits. The guy seems to be in a great hurry, I must say. Like he's keen to get it over with. All the more reason to keep up. Yep. Hang on, Lodric, look at this. Yeah, we can't stop. We're miles behind as it is. Oh, look, look. That painting on the wall. Eh? A dancing girl. No, wait. It's just like the girl from the tourist office. <laughs> the one we saw this morning. Exactly like her. Except she wasn't wearing a topless see-through nightdress then. That's ceremonial dress. Worn by ladies of the upper classes. Blimey, what do the lower classes wear? Hardly anything. Like these slave girls. A beaded belt and a necklace. <laughs> so I see. Aren't the colours remarkable? Huh? Oh, yeah, the colours. <laughs> After all these years, God as new. You know something? What? I've never seen this painting before. Well, how could you? I mean, a, a copy of it. In a book or on the wall of a museum. Maybe you missed it. Oh, I'd never have let a scene like that slip by unnoticed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. But what's the point of the picture? I mean, it was never intended to be seen by anybody, was it? Normally it would be black as pitch in here. It symbolises some ceremony. It may be part of the funeral procession down to the burial chamber. Hey, listen. What? Nothing. That's the trouble. We got left behind. Well, they can't be far. And we'll soon catch them up. It can't be this way. We should have overtaken them by now. Stand still. Be quiet. Listen. Keep close together. Keep your lights on all the time. I can hear him. So can I. Down here. He's much fainter. But still ahead. Listen, once more. No, I can't hear anything. Shh. No. No, nothing. Well, we can't stay here. We might get shut in. But let's not panic. All we have to do is retrace our steps and we'll come to the entrance. Well, come on then. I'm beginning to get the creeps. Look, back to the painting of no fret. We can get our bearings from there. Right. This is a hall of columns. We haven't been this way before. More of a corridor. It must lead somewhere. There's an opening at the far end. Oh, look at that. Completely covered with blue tiles. Made to look like coloured matting. Why? That's what the Pharaoh's palace walls were lined with. It makes him feel at home when he walks this way. You mean, he still walks about? The ancients thought his spirit did. Well, how long has he been dead? Four thousand years. More. Well, should have settled down by now. Let's try that door there. No. no, it's no good. It won't open. It's false. Hey? The Egyptians built dozens of them, hoping to fool tomb robbers, stop them getting in. But we want to get out. Hang on. Ah, this one opens. It'll be the only one. Oh, look at that. Complete art gallery, shut away in perpetual night. And what's all this um, furniture, all those statues and files? Look, a bed. This is how it would have looked after the king had been laid in it. 
All those bits and pieces are to help him enjoy his stay in the next world. Doesn't seem to have used any of it. Listen, the burial chamber must be near. Try to find it. Try all the doors. I'll try that big stone cupboard in the corner. I'll try the doors along this wall. One of them should be real. Oh! Chipper! Somebody in there! Don't be stupid. There is! He looked straight at me! How could you see anybody when you didn't open the door? There's two holes at the top. I, sh- I, sh- I shone the torch in. What? Ah, yes. It's a statue. Of whoever's buried here, probably. Why keep a statue in a stone cupboard? He represents the dead noble. Unusual for a shrine to be kept in a tomb, I must say. Where, then? In one of the mortuary chapels at ground level. Food is placed before the shrine, the, the cupboard, as you call it, and the dead king partakes of it through the statue. I don't see how. And to the Egyptians, a representative statue is as good as the real thing. Now, keep close to me. Let's find the burial chamber. Ah, this is it. And there's a sarcophagus. Oh, the lid's off. Yes. But it's empty. Where do you think he's gone? To the Cairo Museum, probably. What's that? The door. It's closing. Quick, we might just squeeze them. Present time, it's closed. Some kind of portcullis. We've been shut in. I could have sworn we'd find some trace of that meteorite, Magnus. I don't understand it. Perhaps the police were right. Perhaps it evaporated. No, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit the data. Perhaps it changed course, then. How? Turbulence couldn't affect it. I don't mean turbulence. I mean deliberately changed course. That would mean... I know. It's just a theory. What time is it? Hmm? Just after midnight. What's happened to Chipper and Lodrick? You told them to be back early. I know what's happened. Chipper's persuaded Lodrick to go to the Oasis Club to watch the belly dancing. But that closes at midnight. Yes, so they shouldn't be long. By the time I've had a shower, they'll be back. I've rung the club. They haven't been there. And the Giza Pyramid closed at six. Did they actually go to the pyramid? Well, it's too late to check now. We'd better ring the police. Oh, give them a bit longer. You know Chipper. He's probably found another place. While we're sitting here worrying, they're in some Egyptian pleasure house having a good time. <laughs> what are you thinking, Chipper? I'm thinking, why am I sitting here in a damp 4,000-year-old tomb when I could be in the Casbah watching the dancing girls? <sighs> what time is it? Almost 1 a.m. I'm trying to get some sleep. Sleep? I'm so scared I can't stop shaking. There's nothing here can harm us. Oh, yeah. Lodric, listen. Can you hear it? Yes. Put the light on. There. It stopped. Must have been the wind. There's no wind down here. It came from the shrine. The shrine? Yes. Let's investigate. What? We're going to open it. If we can. Chipper, it's only a statue. I hope so. There's nothing else in here. Oh, oh no! Oh God, what's that? Hear you. to the voice of Miriam. The shrine. It's coming from the shrine. Who are you? Keeper of the sun boat of the great god Ray. 
Something to amuse the tourists. It's just a tape. You are of the expedition Berseris? That's no tape. He knows who we are. Answer. Yes. Then you are the one that knows the mystery of the power of the sunboats. What? I'm a space engineer. You are the one. The one what? To the right of this shrine is a door. It's false. I tried it. Above it is a metal bar. Yes, look. There. Insert it into the slot by the door. There, done. Go on. I'll hold the torch. <laughs> it's open. Now what? Go through to the passage outside. Follow the gallery down. And then? And then? Marianka, can you hear me? He meant this way. Definite slope downwards. Hello, can you hear me? Come on, he's not going to answer. The sooner we go, the sooner we'll get out. like another kind of mortuary chapel. Welcome. No fret. Come from the pyramid walks. Walks undressed up. <laughs> Told you. That's the ceremonial dress. Come. We must prepare for the funeral ceremony of the king. What king? The king whose tomb you were in. There's no one there. The sarcophagus is empty. Yes. He is here. Where? In the boat grave, waiting for his journey to begin. Journey to where? The next world, of course. Greetings. So that's what he looks like. I am Miriamco, keeper of the sunboat of the great god Ray. You look just like the guide. Welcome. And the others, they look just like the people you were showing round. You see us as we truly are. But what are you? Chipper, look. Look over there. An ancient boat. Egyptian. In perfect condition. It is the royal sun boat. It does not float on water. It sails across the sky. Look, could you hang on, Chipper? You did say sails across the sky. Yeah. When your boat flies, does it give off a bright light? As bright as the sun. And when did your boat make its last trip? Two nights ago. I thought so. That was the fireball everyone's looking for. But now, it has lost its power. That is why we brought you here. You see, we need your help. Our help? You understand the magic which makes the sunboat fly. Magic? Me? Look, <laughs> we're just down-to-earth astronauts. We don't know anything about magic. Your companion, he knows. The power of the sunboat is no mystery to him. No, no. I'm a practical astronautical engineer. Don't deal in mysteries. You will look at our boat, make it fly again. That thing? Please. Come on board. Just look. 
Well, don't get us out of here any quicker. Thank you. Please remove your shoes. This is a holy place. Sorry. I don't understand these mechanisms. I don't know how anything functions, so I cannot tell if anything is wrong. And even if I could, I wouldn't know how to put it right. You cannot help us? No. I see. We thank you for your efforts. You may depart this place. You mean we can go? Yes. And may the gods go with you. she said. What were they doing all dressed up like that? Nofrit and Merianki. They were attending a funeral. Funeral? Of that fellow from the tomb upstairs. How do you know? He was on board the boat in the deck house. Or at least his coffin was. And I presume he was in it. Well, and the boat would fly? Probably. The coffin rested on what looked like a sarcophagus. But inside was some kind of power pack. A heat pile. Oh. I don't know what to call it, but it was very hot. And probably hadn't cooled down since it was last used. How it worked, I've no idea. Nor what was wrong with it. It's all very strange. I expect Saxon and Magnus will be able to throw some light on it. Especially Magnus. He's really into ancient Egyptians. I'm not sure these people are Egyptians. What? I think they might have been ancient before even Egypt was ancient. Well, the fact is... I find it hard to believe. Yes, I know it's sounds... Guides have been working inside that pyramid for years. Yes, They've they never come across anything such as you've described. Didn't they explore the hole we came out of? Yes, on the cliff above the river. Didn't lead anywhere. After a few yards, they came up against a wall of solid rock. Well, what about the agency? The girl has sent us down there. Nofrit. Yeah, there's no one at the agency by any such name, and they don't organise any visits inside the step pyramid. Then what about the boat? The kind of boat you describe is three or four times longer than any known ancient Egyptian craft. Boat graves that could hold so large a vessel don't exist. It would have to be a grave of colossal proportions. It was. Was it roofed over? Yes, but the ceiling was painted to represent the sky. Groups of stars in recognisable constellations. What was the motive power of this ancient flying boat? Solar power, I suspect. Why? Well, because of the power pack and the steering oars. Where did they come in? Well, I think they were solar power panels that convert solar energy into motive power. <sighs> Only something had gone wrong, and they weren't working. If such a vessel exists, the authorities will find it. If you'd only let us go back, then I'm sure We're we... not letting you out of our sight again to want we leave for England. I'm not risking nearly two years' hard work and training by allowing you to lose yourselves again. But all we need is to show where we found the painting oh, and lost no, the guide, and no. from there it's a No, famous... no, you've told them enough. You've got more important things to do. This is the log of Magnus Carter. Space Force is on an expedition to the asteroids by way of Mars. A landing will be made on Mars, where a working base will be established. Various exploratory expeditions will then be launched, first to the larger asteroids and then the smaller, to ascertain their mineral content and how it may be extracted. At the same time, a space platform using the latest Hayden Howell system will be put into operation as a permanent space laboratory. Accompanying Space Force on this journey will be another large space vessel carrying the working crews of the Mars base and space platform. 
and a cargo vessel carrying the parts from which the base and the platform will be built. The takeoff of our momentous flight was perfect. The ships leaving from different launching sites to rendezvous hundreds of miles above the Earth. That's it. Now in free fall. Check the ship. Right. Chipper, check the fleet. Right out. And check time of rendezvous. Then we'll switch to automatic watch and have something to eat. Mm. Well, that was good. Let's have some coffee, Ludwig. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. See to it, Chipper. Hello, trader <laughs> number one. We wish to pass a report. What now? We're in the middle of our dinner. Situation is urgent. Oh, well, in that case, I'll just switch on the recorder. Right. Where you go. Freighter number one. I don't know what it's about. Usual panic, sports. you know that lot. Report number one. <clears throat> Text is as follows. Beg to report. Stowaways aboard freight craft. Repeat. What Beg was to that? Report. I think they reported stowaways. Here, craft. let me talk to them. Hello, freighter number one, commander here. Repeat your message, please. Beg to report stowaways aboard freight craft. How many, for Pete's sake? Two. Where did they stow away? In number three hold, the airtight one. Might have been killed. Have they any spacesuits? No, neither of them. Well, they're really asking for trouble. Who are they? They claim to be Cometians. What? Cometians. People from Comet. Where's that? Never heard of it, have you? Yes, I have. What? Have you? Where is it? Kemet is the ancient name for Egypt. Ancient Egypt? How could stowaways possibly come from there? Hello, Freda One. Receiving you. I'll have to come over to interrogate the stowaways. Very good, sir. Meanwhile, keep them under strict surveillance. Magnus, you better come over too. Get your suit on. Very well. Hello, Freda One. Lodric Sincere, flight engineer calling. Receiving you. Would you mind asking the stowaways their names? Already done that. What are they? Just as I thought. In that episode of Space Force, Saxon was played by Barry Foster, Magnus by Nigel Stock, Chipper by Nicky Henson, and Loderick by Tony Osoba, with Wendy Murray, Willoughby Goddard, Bernard Brown, and Mia Soterio. Space Force was written by Charles Chilton and produced by Paul Mayhew Archer. Listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com.